Look sharp. Feel sharp. Be sharp. Use Gillette Blue Blades with the sharpest edges ever honed. Gillette's cavalcade of sports is on the air. From Bravesfield in Boston, Gillette presents the World Series. Good afternoon, baseball fans everywhere. This is Jim Britt with Mel Allen greeting you for the Gillette Safety Razor Company as the Cleveland Indians and the Boston Braves get ready for their crucial sixth game of the 1948 Championship Series. Gillette is on the air the year around with on-the-spot reports of leading sports events. Gillette also broadcasts the major boxing match of the week every Friday, Friday night. The rival pitchers for this sixth World Series game will be right-hander Bob Lemon of Cleveland and right-hander Bill Voisel of the Braves. Lemon, you'll recall, won an eight-hitter by a four-to-one score here at Braves Field in the second game of the series to pull the Indians up even with Boston. Voisel will be making his first series start, but during a three-and-two-thirds inning relief stint, he restricted Cleveland to a single hit, a single by Larry Doby. As a matter of fact, the relief pitching of all Billy Southworth's firemen in this series has been excellent. During 15 innings in relief roles, Voisel, Barrett, Potter, Spawn have not allowed an earned run and have held the Indians to four hits while striking out nine and walking only one. In his victory earlier in the series, in the second game, Lemon yielded one unearned run, but a successful pickoff play, plus a costly Braves error, cost the Braves at least one run and handed the Indians a score. But even so, Lemon's pitching deserved the victory. Yesterday, at a time when series observers were on the verge of calling this 1948 championship one of the most lackluster of modern times, the power hitters stole the show, or most of it. Paced by third baseman Bob Elliott, who became the second National League batter of World Series history to hit two home runs in a game. The only other National League performer to do it was Benny Koff of the Giants back in 1917. The Braves overpowered the Indians. At the same time that Elliott twice homered, Dale Mitchell, Jim Hegan of Cleveland, and Bill Sorkeld of the Braves all hammered round trippers. Hegan's was the three-run blow that sent Cleveland ahead. But the Braves, who had failed to make an impressive showing in previous contests, staged the beginning of the series with a six-run explosion in the seventh to sew it up. I said that Bob Elliott and the power hitters came close to stealing the show, but left-hander Warren Spawn of Buffalo, New York, was the top defensive hero. His pitching was the best this series has produced. He allowed only one batter, manager Lou Boudreau, to reach base via the hit route on a double in the eighth. Then he struck out five of the last six men to face him to preserve the victory. In five and two-thirds innings on the mound, after Nels Potter had been driven out, Spawn gave up a walk and a hit. His assortment of fast and slow balls, he was using his curve, by the way, as a waste pitch, his assortment had the Indians guessing. Once, when after taking a perfect fastball strike, Joe Gordon swung at a low slow ball and missed, he turned to the umpire and said, I guessed wrong on that one, didn't I? Bill Salkel, the Boston catcher, said Spawn all but dispensed with his curveball. The pitch Cleveland batters had solved easily in the second series game in favor of a mixed-up assortment of fast and slow stuff. Feller, as was the case his first time out, couldn't win. Today, veteran observers are comparing his plight with that of the late, great Walter Johnson, who never did win a series game until the twilight of his career and then in a relief role. No recent series, I think, has seen so many former infielders and outfielders rack up mound victories. Bob Lemon was both an infielder and an outfielder at one time. Steve Gromack played the infield. John Sane once roamed the outfield. 
It may get to be a habit, this switching around. Since last year, John Lindell, a former pitcher, was one of the top heroes of the series. On the special trains between Cleveland and Boston last night, the main topic of conversation, however, was the crowd, the attendance at yesterday's game. When he learned that about 12,000 fans saw the game while standing around Mr. Beck's portable outfield fence, first baseman Earl Torgerson of the Braves said, Imagine that, 12,000. Why, that's six times as many people as there are in my hometown of Snohomish, Washington. To the Cleveland club, yesterday's game was a bitter disappointment. The Indians consider Feller the same great performer everyone else does. The idea of his losing by any such lopsided score as 11 to 5, despite the fact that of the 11 Boston runs, only seven were charged to Bob, seemed inconceivable. But when the Braves broke the five-run tie on Torgerson's seventh-inning single, scoring Holmes, even Bob Hope, one of the most rabid Indian rooters, turned to a companion and said, There's the ball game. We'll never get a hit off that guy's pawn. He has it today. Well, he did have it. Boudreaux's double was the only hit. So the series now faces its sixth game, with the Braves back on home soil, set to face their second-game conqueror, Bob Lemon. Boston seems even more baseball mad today than on the day the series opened. This morning's Boston Herald carried the streamer headline, Welcome home, Braves. Everyone salutes you. Fire equipment, bands, and huge crowds had already jammed Trinity Place when the Braves special arrived early this morning. Yesterday afternoon, after the Braves' victory in Cleveland, when the rush seats went on sale here at the park, the rush of the crowds broke all bounds, and the sale had to be postponed in the interest of safety. Braves Field holds only half as many persons as the huge and beautiful Lakefront Stadium in Cleveland, so today's crowd will probably approximate 40,000. The World Series checks this year will be sizable. Don't think they won't. The player's share of the receipts amounts to more than $548,000. Of that amount, 70% is earmarked for these two World Series contenders. The winner's share of the 70%, which is 60%, will total more than $7,400 on the basis of a 31-share split as previously announced, which means that even the loser's individual World Series checks will approximate $5,300, and the Boston Red Sox, for having finished second in the American League this year, will doubtless receive a larger share than they did as the loser's end of the World Series of 1946. Few World Series checks have ever approximated this total. If you're statistical-minded, perhaps a breakdown of the runs, hits, errors of the clubs will interest you. In the five games already decided, the Braves hold a scoring edge of just a single run, 14 to 13. In hits, Boston has a 34 to 28 advantage, thanks to yesterday's slugfest. The Indians have been charged with the fewer errors, 3 to 6, and both teams have left 27 runners on base. 20 Indians have struck out, Walt Judnick four times. 18 Braves have gone down on strikes, Rickard four times. The Braves have walked a total of 11 times, the Indians 10 times. The individual batting leaders are Torgerson and Stanky of Boston, with averages of 429 and 308. For Cleveland, Doby tops the regulars with a mark of 278. Boudreaux is 263. In team batting, Boston's mark is 218, Cleveland's 179. And now, before giving you the batting orders and the array of the umpires for this sixth World Series game, hats off to our northern neighbor, our good neighbor, Canada, which today in the Dominion is celebrating Thanksgiving Day. And Gillette, Mel, and I hope that their celebration is enhanced by a thrilling World Series broadcast. 
Here are the batting orders. For Cleveland, Mitchell, left field. Dobie, in right field. That's a change. Boudreau, shortstop. Gordon, second base. Keltner, third base. Tucker, Thurman Tucker, formerly of the White Sox, will be in center field. Robinson, first base. Hegan, the catcher. And the pitcher, right-hander Bob Lemon, with a season's record of 20 victories, 14 defeats, and a previous World Series record of one victory, an eight-hitter in which he yielded only one unearned run. For Boston, Holmes, right field. Dark, shortstop. Torgerson, first base. Elliott, third base. Rickert, in left field. Saul Kell, the catcher. Mike McCormick, in center field. Stanky, second base. And Big Bill Voisel of 96 South Carolina and Mustang, Oklahoma, on the mound with a season's record of 13 and 13. Bill Summers of the American League at the plate. Bill Stewart of the National League at first base. Bill Greaves of the American League at second base. George Barr of the National League will be at third base. The left field foul umpire will be Babe Pinelli of the National League staff. The right field foul umpire will be American Leaguer Joe Paparella. Out in center field at the moment, Baron Hugo's band is masked, ready to play the national anthem, and the colors will rise to the top of the staff under the supervision of the Marine Color Guard from the Marine Barracks of the Boston Naval Base. But first, the Braves bullpen pitchers and the Cleveland bullpen pitchers will be given an opportunity to clear the field. Bob Lemon is still warming up. Bill Voisel is still warming up. Voisel, incidentally, has pitched a total of three and two-thirds previous innings, has walked no one, has allowed no runs, has had no strikeouts, and has yielded just one single to Larry Doby. Today's crowd is likely to be the largest of the Boston series. The skies overhead are cloudy, overcast, but there is not a threat of rain. The Indians and the Braves both arrived on special trains this morning. They went through intensive fielding, batting practices, and in just a moment or two, the sixth game of the World Series will get underway. You're familiar with the way the pattern of the previous games has gone, of course. In the opening game, Boston defeated Bob Feller 1-0, Johnny Sane the winning pitcher. In the second game, Cleveland tied it up with a 4-1 victory, Lemon the winner, and Spawn the loser. Ladies and gentlemen, the national anthem.
And now with the Six World Series game about to get underway, let me again present my colleague and your play-by-play reporter for the first four and a half innings, Mel Allen. Hello there, everybody. Before the ball game does actually get underway, let's pause ten seconds for station identification. This is the Mutual Broadcasting System. For the World Series and other top sporting events the year-round, keep tuned to 710. This is WOR New York. Big Bill Boisel on the hill for the Boston Braves, a right-hander who won 13 and lost 13 on the regular season. Boy from 96 South Carolina originally, who now lives in Mustang, Oklahoma. Big Bill had more than fair success against the Cleveland Indians in spring training games, and Billy Southworth is entrusting this strong-armed right-hander with the task of keeping the Braves in the World Series. Time is called just before we get underway. Bill Stewart, who's umpiring at first base, calls time. Joe Paparella of the American League, who's stationed down the right field foul line, is over-talking to the Boston Braves right fielder, Tommy Holmes, about something or other. I don't know just what it is. But now everything seems to be all right, and we're all set to go. Dale Mitchell will be leading off for the Cleveland Indians. Mitchell bats him left-handed. Boisel looks in to get his sign from Bill Salkel in the crouch back of the plate. Mitchell, who's had three out of 19 in the series, hitting at 158. First pitch. It's in there for a call strike. It was a fastball. Bill Boisel whipped it in there just about knee high. Bob Elliott goes over into the grass of the infield, picks up a piece of paper. He's laying in fairly close at third, looking for a bunt, possibly. Outfield playing Mitchell around toward left. Here's your delivery, and it's high inside for ball one. That evens up the count one and one. One ball, one strike. Boisel gets that sign from Salkel. He's in no hurry. Dale Mitchell, left-hand batter. Here's the pitch. Mitchell takes inside now for ball two. Two balls, one strike. Larry Doby's on deck with Lou Boudreau to follow. Bill McKechnie coaching back at third base. Mel Harder back at first base. Bill Summers calling balls and strikes. Boisel into the windup delivers. Mitchell swings and lines one out into center field. Coming fast is the center fielder, Mike McCormick, who takes it for the out. Mitchell lines to Mike McCormick in center field. One away, and up to the plate now comes Larry Doby. Doby's had five out of 18 in the series, hitting at 278. Earl Torgerson's had six out of 14 for the most number of hits of anybody, with Larry Doby having five, Mike McCormick having five, and uh, Lou Boudreau having five, among others. There's a pitch into Doby. It's wide of the mark for ball one. Doby stands far away from the plate. Bill Boisel into the windup. Here's the pitch, and it's in there for a call strike. One and one. Larry Doby. Got the only hit off Bill Boisel the other day when Bill hurled his release stint. Now the pitch. Doby takes fastball over for called strike two. Fastball in there about letter high. Boisel, you know, went uh, three and two-thirds innings in relief pitching. Allowed one hit. No runs. Didn't walk anybody. Didn't strike out anybody. The big right-handers into the windup. Here's the pitch. Doby takes curve inside. Ball two. Two-two the count. 
Two balls, two strikes, one away. Top half of the first inning, sixth game of the World Series. With the Cleveland Indians out in front in games, three to two. Boisel delivers, Dobie swings, and Lyons went out over short in the left field for a base hit. Taken out there by Marv Rickard on a couple of hops. He whips his throw into second. And Dobie's on with a line single left field for the first hit of the sixth game of the World Series. And Dobie's sixth of the Classic. And now here's Lou Boudreau coming up. Lou bats him right-handed. The stretch by Boisel. Here's the pitch. Lou takes it in the back. He's hitting the small of the back by a pitched ball. He's all right, however. Shakes it off. As a matter of fact, he reaches down and picks the ball up on the baselines. He trots on down to first base. The ball hit him right in the small of the back, just above the hips. And that moves Larry Doby down to second. Lou Boudreau. Hit by a pitched ball. And that moves Doby down to second and brings up Joe Gordon. Double barrel activity in the Braves' bullpen. Red Barrett, a right-hander, is one of the men who's warming up. We're checking the identity of the other. Looks like it may be Vern Bickford. Now the pitch to Joe Gordon. Swung on and fouled back to the screen. Strike one. As the flash was going after that first pitch. Hoping to drive it far and deep. The outfield playing Joe Gordon around toward left. Playing him to pull. Infield shaded around toward third with Bob Elliott deep close to the line. Al Dark, the shortstop, deep over into the third base hole. Eddie Stanky over toward second base. They're in potential double play position if the opportunity should present itself. Runners lead off second and third. The stretch by Boisel. Here's the pitch. Joe Gordon takes high. And the count is evened up now at one and one. One ball, one strike. You got Kenny Keltner on deck. Bill McKechnie coaching at third. Mal Harder at first for Cleveland. A lot of room down that right field line. The outfield so far swung over toward left. Here's your pitch. Gordon takes high again. Ball two, two and one. William Boisel, six foot three, two hundred pounder, whose birthplace is listed as Greenwood, South Carolina, but who made '96 South Carolina quite famous. Pitches down to Joe Gordon, who swing started to swing, held up, but Bill Summers says to strike anyway, and it's a two-two count on Gordon. And now Bill Summers indicates that Gordon broke his wrists. In other words, he swung around enough for it to be called a strike. It was a high fastball. And it's a 2-2 count. You've got Larry Doby on second. Lou Boudreau on first. One out, top half of the first inning, sixth game of the World Series. Bill Boisel ready with the stretch, looks back at second base. Here's the pitch. Joe Gordon swings and pounds it back to the screen. Count remains 2-2. Gordon guarding that plate very closely. And that time he wasn't uh, flailing away for any great distance. He was just trying to meet the ball. Doesn't want to strike out if he can help it. Of course, if he sees something that comes in there pretty fat, he might tee off on it. All right, Boisel is ready with the stretch. Doby leads off second, Boudreau off first. Here's the pitch. Joe Gordon swings and lines one deep to left field. Going back is Rickard. He makes the catch of the line drive. And the runners have to hustle back to the respective bases. Doby to second and Boudreau to first. Joe Gordon plastered a liner to deep left, but Marv Rickard was right back there deep to take it. Show with two down. Up comes Kenny Keltner. Keltner, right-hand batter. Boisel looks in to get that sign from Bill Salkell. 
The outfield and infield setup is the same for Keltner as it was for Gordon. They're both extreme full hitters, although occasionally they might blast one to right. Bill Boisel ready. Doby leads off second. Boudreau off first. Here's the pitch. Keltner takes a hook that's inside for a ball. Kenny Keltner, who's had only one hit in this series, one out of 17. He got that hit in the first ball game. He First time up, he's been 0 for 16 since. Now the pitch. Keltner swings and he misses. Cut hard, slashed hard at a fastball. Joe Gordon, incidentally, had had three out of 18 before he went out. Boudreaux had had five out of 19 before he was hit by a pitched ball. We gave you Doby's record before. Now the delivery. Keltner swings and he misses. As Bill Boisel fired it by him. And the count is one ball and two strikes on Keltner. So we've got a dramatic moment here in the top half of the first inning. Kenny Keltner standing deep in the batter's box, in close to the plate, slightly open stance. Larry Doby, fleet of foot, bore from Patterson, New Jersey, on second base. Lou Boudreau on first. Here's your pitch. Swung on, little ground ball, hit out towards short. Dark up with it. Plays it over to Torgerson at first, in time for the out. And so Bill Boisel pitched himself out of the jam. No runs, one hit. No errors, and two men left on base. At the end of the first half of the first inning, the score, Cleveland nothing, Boston nothing. Guesswork doesn't go in laying out a baseball diamond. The distance between bases must be exactly 90 feet between the pitcher's box and home plate, 60 feet, 6 inches. No more, no less. But talking about exactness, today's Gillette Blue Blade is made to the closest limits of accuracy known to the industry. For instance, the positioning slot in the middle of the blade is precisely centered. When you tighten the holder, the Gillette blue blade lines up absolutely parallel with the razor guard, extends just the correct distance for smooth, easy shaving. Thus, you have a perfectly matched shaving instrument that glides through beard with light, gentle strokes. Ask for Gillette blue blades, five for a quarter, or get a handy 20-blade Gillette dispenser for 98 cents. Look sharp. Feel sharp, be sharp. Use Gillette Blue Blades with the sharpest edges ever honed. Coming into the last half of the first inning. Bob Lemon on the hill for the Cleveland Indians. And he'll be facing Tommy Holmes, Al Dark, and Earl Torgerson. Incidentally, a sidelight about Kenny Keltner and a possible reason for his not hitting better in the series. Cy Johnson, Braves coach, was with Keltner in the Navy. Played some ball with him together, uh, with uh, Kenny. He played ball together, and he got the Braves pitchers pretty well briefed on uh, whatever weaknesses Keltner may have at bat. Here's a little bumblebee right in front of the microphone. Get out of there. All right, we're ready. Tommy Holmes up, left-hand batter, takes outside from Bob Lemon. Ball one. One ball, no strikes. Last half of the first inning. Tommy Holmes has had three hits in the World Series. And 21 times at bat for a series average of 183. One of his hits, though, was most productive. It won the first game. Bob Lemon throws. Holmes swings and a little dribble right to the mound. Taken by Lemon on two hops. Throws on over to Eddie Robinson. And Holmes is out. Pitcher to the first baseman. Lemon to Robinson. And thus, Bob Lemon starts out today, just as he did the other day, in his first starting effort, when he had so many chances. And Holmes, incidentally, bounced out to Lemon three times. 
in the game that uh, Bob started here at Braves Field. So Holmes starts out in same fashion himself. Now Al Dark, a right-hand hitter up, looks at a fastball that's inside about letter high, ball one. Al Dark has had three out of 20, hitting at 150 in the series. He has quite a spread, his feet wide apart, not too close to the plate, outfield toward left. Here's your pitch, and it's outside now for ball two. Two balls, no strikes. Two-nothing to count. Here's your pitch. Swung on and fouled off. Back of first base out of play into the lower stands. Two balls, one strike to count on Al Dark. One out, last half of the first inning. Sixth game of the World Series. With the Cleveland Indians still leading but one victory to end it all. And the Boston Braves still battling to send it out to its full extent of seven games. Bill Summers, the plate umpire, decides to dust off the plate. Bill Stewart of the National League umpiring at first base. Billy Greve of the American League at second. George Barr of the National League at third. Babe Finelli, National League alternate, stationed down the left field line. And Joe Paparella, American League alternate, stationed down the right field line. Now the pitch is bunny down the third baseline. There's Lemon over up with it. The throw, not in time. Beat out. The throw gets away from Robinson, but backing up is Joe Gordon. And Al Dark is on, beating out a bunt. It's a base hit for Al Dark as he makes use of his great speed and lays down a beautiful bunt down the third baseline and beat it out. Bob Lemon calls time, stands in behind the mound now, takes a white handkerchief out of his hip pocket and drives off his pitching hand. Got to give Clement, uh, Lemon a lot of credit on that play. He dashed over that line in a hurry, grabbed the ball with his bare hand, and flipped while off balance, but was unable to get the ball over there ahead of the speedy Alvin Dark. Lou Boudreau on it short, motions out to Dale Mitchell to move over a step or two toward the left field line. He's way over toward left center as Earl Torgerson steps to the plate. Torgerson, a left-hand batter, has had six out of 14 in the series. He hits a long ball. One down, one on. Last half, first inning, no score. Here's your pitch. Swung on. It's a fly ball. Get out into short right center. Here's Doby racing in. And Tucker, and Tucker makes the catch. And there's a throw to first base. And it's a double play. They double up. Alvin Dark as Earl Torgerson's fly ball to right center faded. Larry Doby started racing in. And then Tucker came over from center. And it was Tucker who finally made the catch. Al Dark thought the ball was going to drop for a Texas League single and was doubled up trying to get back to first. Tucker to Torgerson. Or Tucker to Robinson. No runs. One hit. No errors. And nobody left on. That was a nice play by Thurman Tucker. And that's the sixth double play that the Cleveland Indians have come up with in the series. Thurman Tucker came a long way to get that ball. He's very fast. It was obvious that Doby wouldn't get to it in time, and Tucker came from nowhere to get it. Alvin Dark had all the reason in the world to think he was double off at first base on a nice throw from Tucker to Eddie Robinson. So at the end of one inning of play, it's nothing and nothing. We're ready now to move into the top half of the second with Thurman Tucker leading off. And as so often happens, when a man makes a nice fielding play in the field, he's the first man at bat coming up. In the next inning, takes a pitch outside for ball one. 
Tucker bats him left-handed. He hasn't seen uh, any service in this World Series. Here's the pitch. Swung on, popped up in the air, foul off to the left of the plate. Bob Elliott moves away from third base under it, makes the catch. About 20 feet off the third baseline, foul territory, and is one away. Coming to band is Eddie Robinson. Eddie Robinson bats him left-handed. Indians first baseman. Bill Voizel into the windup. Around comes the right arm. The pitch swung on, lined right out to Eddie Stanky at second base for out number two. Robinson lines to Stanky. So with two down, up comes Jim Hegan. Robinson had had four out of 16 in the series. And now Jim Hegan, three out of 15. Gets a ripple of applause from the fans here in Boston because he is a native of Massachusetts, boy from Lynn, right-hand hitter. Boisel throws, fastball is in there for a call strike. Outfield swung around toward left for Jim. Infield shaded around toward third. Boisel delivers, curved, it swung on, lined over the head of Elliott, down the left field line for a base hit. There's Rickard up with the ball in a couple of hops, whips his throw into second, and Hegan goes back to first after taking his turn with a single to left field. That's the second hit off Boisel. Jim Hegan's the boy that almost won the ball game for the Indians yesterday and the World Series and a victory for Feller when he hit a home run with two on to put the Indians ahead. However, the Braves came slashing back for that big seventh inning to win. Now here's Bob Lemon stepping up. He's a left-hand hitter, and a good hitter for a pitcher. The delivery, swung on, popped foul, back of first. Going over for it is Earl Torgerson right at the edge of the stands. He leans and jumps on top of the dugout, but can't make the catch, but what a great try. Torgerson sort of... Uh, jumped onto the Indians' dugout trying to catch that one. Certainly gave it a great try. One strike to count on Bob Lemon. Lemon was hitless and four times at bat. Boisel with a stretch, checks his runner. Here's the pitch. Lemon swings and sends a long fly ball into left center field. Marv Rickard races back under it, makes the catch. That's all for Cleveland, top of the second. No runs, one hit, no errors, and one man left on. The score at the end of an inning and a half, Cleveland nothing, Boston nothing. Ray Scarborough, a well-known pitcher for the Washington Senators, is watching today's game with us. Hear what he has to say about the convenience of the new Gillette Blue Blade Dispenser. Come in, Ray. I'm glad to recommend the Gillette Dispenser to you fans, for it's the handiest thing I've come across in a long time. My beard is tough, and I change blades frequently. But with the dispenser, that's no trouble at all. Now, folks, that was Ray Scarborough. Next time you buy Gillette Blue Blades, take his advice. Ask for them in the handy Gillette dispenser. It comes loaded with 20 blades, 40 shaving edges. For the price of the blades alone, 98 cents here and a dollar in Canada. Look sharp, feel sharp, be sharp. Use Gillette Blue Blades with the sharpest edges ever honed. That round of applause greets the appearance at the plate for the Boston Braves in the last half of the second inning. Bob Elliott. 
Elliott's the lad who hit two home runs yesterday, who sparked the Braves to their comeback victory over the Cleveland Indians to prolong the series to at least the sixth game and a return to Braves Field here in Boston. Elliott, a right-hand hitter, now has a batting average in the series of four out of 18. That's 222, but he has driven in five runs. That's more runs than anyone else has driven in in the series. Jimmy Hegan for the Indians has driven in four. Takes second place in the RBI department. It'll be Bob Elliott, Marv Rickert, and Bill Salkel facing Bob Lemon. Lemon, a right-hander. Faced the Braves in the second game of the World Series and beat them 4-1. to one. Let the Braves have eight hits, but he scattered them very nicely. Bob Lemon all set. All set to pitch to Bob Elliott. The right-hander throws. Elliott swings and sends a bounder down the third baseline. Charged nicely by Kenny Keller. His, his throw over to first, and the ball is dropped. It's dropped by Robinson. And Elliott is safe. On that play, the ball charged by Keltner. The ball twisted off to uh, Kenny's right just as he was ready to receive it. But he grabbed it anyway. His throw was on the home plate side of first base. Robinson had to stretch to get it as Elliott was bearing down on him. And uh, Ed sort of uh, slapped at the ball and couldn't hang on to it. Now coming up to bat is Marv Rickert. There's a ball as Elliott took his lead off first. Bob Lemon with the stretch started to throw to first base. And Eddie Robinson wasn't there. He was in behind the runner. So Bob Lemon was afraid of throwing the ball away. And as a result, he's charged with a ball. And that enables Bob Elliott to go down to second. Now, they have ruled Elliott is to be credited with a base hit. No error on that previous play. There's a pitch that's low outside now to Marv Rickard for ball one. So as we saw and described for you, that ball took a peculiar twist on Keltner at the last second. He had to evidently hurry his throw. And the official scorer gave Elliott a base hit. He goes to second on the ball. Now the pitch to Rickard. Swung on and fouled off at the plate. Strike one. They've given Elliott credit for a base hit rather than charge anyone with an error. Bob Lemon has come into the plate to talk to Jim Hegan. Now he's walking back out to the mound. The balk that Bob Lemon committed is one that will occasionally arise and not be the fault particularly of anyone. Lemon and Robinson didn't get together on their sign as to whether Robinson will be holding against the runner or playing in behind him. So as Lemon started to lob over to first, he saw Robinson playing in behind the runner and had nowhere to throw it. All right, the stretch by Bob, the pitch. It swung on. There's a drive to beat the runner. The touch going back for it. And Mike McCormick makes the catch. The runner makes the catch. Throw the out. Racing to third after the catch is Elliott. As the throw is cut off by Lou Boudreaux. Marv Rickard lined that ball to deep center. Thurman Tucker went back and grabbed it for the out. The ball was hit so deeply that Elliott was unable to tag up and go to third after the catch. Now Bill Salkel steps in. Salkel, the left-hand batter. Lou Boudreau motions out to Thurman Tucker to come in a step or two. Motions over to Larry Doe. who's playing right field today to move in a step. The infield is laying in, hoping to cut the run off the plate if the opportunity should present itself. Bill Salkel, the batter, left-hand hitter. 
Bob Lemon throws. A pitch is swung on a little roller down the first baseline. It's fielded by Robinson, who steps on first to retire Salkeld. And Elliott holds third. Salkeld grounds out to Robinson unassisted with Elliott holding third. So there are two down. And now Lou Boudreaux comes over to the mound to talk to Bobby Lemon. Coming to the plate is Mike McCormick. Mike McCormick, the right-hand batter. Infield goes back in normal position. Outfield step round toward left. Lemon looks in to get his sign. Starts the wind-up. In comes the pitch. Swung on. It's a little roller. Hits slowly down toward third. Couple charges. Flips over to Robinson in time for the out. And the Boston Braves fail to score in the last half of the second inning, though they threatened. No runs. One hit. No errors. And one man left on base. And the score at the end of two innings of play is nothing-nothing. Bob Elliott was credited with the base hit on his tricky roller. That Keltner charged, fielded, threw to first base on. The ball was dropped by Eddie Robinson. But in the judgment of the official score, it was a tough play, and they gave Elliott credit for a base hit. Then Lemon balked. Elliott went second. Rickard's long liner to deep center, gathered in by Tucker, was deep enough to enable Elliott to tag up second, go to third after the catch. Then Elliott held third as Bill Salkeld's little dribbler down the first baseline was handled by Eddie Robinson unassisted and Mike McCormick ended the ending grounding out, third to first. Let's pause ten seconds now for station identification. This is the Mutual Broadcasting System. The La Rosa Hollywood Theater of Stars will be heard at half past one tomorrow afternoon over WOR New York. Going into the top half of the third inning, it'll be Dale Mitchell leading off for the Cleveland Indians as we go to the top of the order. Dale Mitchell, Larry Doby, and Lou Boudreaux. Mitchell flies to center field in the first inning. Bill Boisel, the right-hander, throws. Mitchell swings and lines one down the left field line for a base hit. Maybe for extra bases. Rickard chasing the ball. Mitchell rounds first, takes for second. Here's the throw. It's in toward third, and Mitchell goes into second, standing up for the double. Dale Mitchell lines a double into the left field corner. For the third base hit for the Cleveland Indians off Bill Boisel. And for Dale Mitchell, that's his fourth World Series hit and his second extra base hit. He had a home run, and now he's got a double. That brings to the plate Larry Doby, who singled the left in the first inning. Left-hand batter, the pitch to him is swung on. There's a long fly ball to deep left field. Rickard goes back toward the fence and makes the catch for the out. And there is Mitchell tagging up, bluffing a dash to third, and Torgerson went all the way down from first base to back up second in the event there was a throw in that direction. In other words, he was sneaking in behind Mitchell, but Dale, Dale's ear, caught the voice of Bill McKechnie coaching at third base, yelling to him to get back, and he did. So Larry Doby's long drive deep into left field is caught by Rickard, just about five feet away from the left field fence for the first out in the top of the third. Manager Lou Boudreaux is up. Hit by a pitched ball in the first inning. Bill Boisel throws. The pitch is swung on. Hit out into right field. Racing over is Tommy Holmes. And he, he drops the ball. Now Mitchell takes for third. He rounds it on his way to the plate. He goes in to score. And on at second base is Lou Boudreaux. As Lou sliced one into right field. And Tommy Holmes raced over, got his glove on the ball, and then dropped it. Mitchell was racing toward third. Had to hold up thinking that Holmes would get the ball, 
And then when he dropped it, Bill McKechnie waved him on. It scored as a double for Lou Boudreaux. Into the right field uh, sector. A run batted in for Lou. Mitchell scores. And for Boudreaux, that is his fourth double of the series. And his third run batted in. Indians now lead one to nothing. Joe Gordon up. Gordon takes a high fastball. Ball one. One to nothing. Favorite Cleveland. Top half the third inning. One down. Lou Boudreaux leading off second. Bill Boyzell throws. Joe Gordon looks at a fastball that's inside. Ball two. What a great player that Lou Boudreaux is. He is really tremendous. Activity in the Braves bullpen. You've got Red Barrett and Vern Bickford, two right-handers throwing. Bill Boyzell delivers to Joe Gordon. Curveball stays high. Ball three. Three balls, no strikes. Bill Salkel fires the ball back out to Boyzell. Outfield pulled way around toward left. Boudreaux leads off second. Here's your pitch. Gordon takes a strike call. That 3 nothing pitch is right in there. Gordon taken all the way. So it's a 3-1 count on the flash. Gordon finds the left field in the first inning. Lou Boudreaux takes his lead off second. Stanky tries to dance in behind him, pull him back to the bag. Here's the pitch. Swung on by Gordon. Popped high into the air toward third. Bob Elliott under it, right at the bag. He moves over into foul territory. Makes the catch in foul territory. And they're two away. Gordon fouls out to Elliott. About a foot outside the third base bag. Now with two down, up comes Kenny Keltner. Keltner was tossed out by Al Dark in the first inning. Right-hand hitter stands deep in the batter's box in close to the plate. Slightly open stance. Pull hitter outfield toward left. Eddie Stanky just about two strides to the right of second as we look out onto the field. Here's the pitch, and it's a high fastball. Ball one. Bob Elliott playing deep at third, close to the line. Or as they say in New England, Elliott. One ball, no strikes. And the pitch. Swung on it. Missed strike one, and how that Keller did take a cut at that one. He was really slashing. I'll say one thing for Keltner. If Boisel should happen to give him something on the outside that Keller can get hold of, he's got an entire county to hit it into in the right field sector. Now the pitch. Keltner swings and fouls it off the plate. Strike two, one and two. Of course, Keltner's primarily a pull hitter. But every once in a while, you'll find these uh, extreme pull hitters shifting their feet if they get the type of pitch they figure they can work it on and hitting to the opposite field. Now, you've got, for example, Tommy Holmes playing almost straightaway center field. He's not more than three strides to the right of a straightaway center field position, and he's the right fielder. And Rickard way over on the left field line. Now the pitch to Keltner. Swung on it. So the Cleveland Indians come up with one run. Two hits, no errors for the Braves, one left on for Cleveland. Doubles by Mitchell and Boudreaux, leading to the score. And at the end of two and a half innings, the score is Cleveland one, Braves nothing. Coming into the last half of the third inning, it's going to be Eddie Stanky leading off for the Boston Braves. Indians lead one nothing. It'll be Eddie Stanky. To be followed by Bill Boisel, and then we'll go to the top of the order and pick up Tommy Holmes. Eddie Bassam right-handed. 
He's had four hits and 13 times at bat in the series. Outfield around toward left. Not too extreme, however, and not too deep. Bob Lemon delivers. Fastball, it's high. Ball one. Stanky sort of a half bluff to bunt and had a look at Kenny Keltner. Keltner's laying back fairly deep. Of course, Stanky may not be laying one down because that ankle injury slowed him up tremendously. Here's your pitch, and it's low inside for ball two. Two balls, no strikes. Lemon getting that sign from Hegan. The right-hander's into the windup. In comes the pitch. And it's over that outside corner. Belt high for a call strike, and the count is two and one. One to nothing, favor Cleveland. We're in the last half of the third inning. Lemon taking lots of time. Joe Gordon stationed deep and over near second base. Now the pitch. Stanky takes, and it's over the inside corner, just below the shoulders for call strike two. So he got a 2-2 count on the lady. And he didn't like the decision on that. Reaches down, snatches a little dirt off the ground. Meantime, delivers himself of a choice word or two. Taps his uh, spikes with the bat. Now he moves into hitting position. Once more, he's ready. Actually, his right or back foot is out of the bounds of the batter's box, but they don't pay too much attention to it. Now the pitch swung on and fouled back to the screen. Count remains 2-2. Every once in a while, a catcher will uh, call to the umpire's attention the fact that Stanky's hind foot is outside the back restraining line of the batter's box, which, strictly speaking, is against the rules. Catcher will do that once in a while to try and rattle Eddie. But they're not saying anything about it right now, but from our perch up here, with the line still not yet obliterated, you can uh, see it's way out of there. Two balls, two strikes. Stanky slightly bends the knees. Takes a high fastball for ball three. So he got a full count on Eddie, three and two. Leading off for the Braves in the last half of the third inning. One to nothing, favor Cleveland. Doubles in the top of the third inning by Mitchell and Boudreaux giving the engines a run. Here's your pitch and it's inside, ball four. Eddie Stanky works his specialty, that of getting a base on balls, and he's on first base. That brings to the plate Bill Boisel. Boisel is not too much of a hitter. Matter of fact, I think his batting average matches the number on his uniform, 96, and his regular season batting average. In his looking for the bunt, the pitch is taken inside, however, ball one. The base on balls that Eddie Stanky just received is the fifth that he's worked Cleveland pitching for during the course of this series. One to nothing, favorite Cleveland. Last of the third. Engines looking for the bunt with Keltner charging from third, Robinson from first, Boudreaux to second, and Gordon to first. The pitch, and it's bunted foul off to the right of the plate for a strike. One and one. One ball, one strike. The tempo of the game hasn't been too rapid. It's been a case of the Braves trying to play it for all it's worth, realizing that they cannot make a slip whatsoever, else the World Series will be over. The Indians, on the other hand, want to maintain the edge they do have of a 3-2 edge in games played and would like to clinch the fall classic. Now the delivery to Boisel is bunted down the first baseline. Hegan up for the ball, plays at the first base to Gordon. 
covering for the out, which moves Stanky to second. Boisel sacrifices and is out. Hegan to Gordon is covered first. Boisel did all that Billy Southworth expected of him. Lay down the sacrifice bunt. That brings the plate Tommy Holmes. Tommy bounced out in the first inning to Bobby Lemon. A habit that uh, Lemon has induced Holmes to get into since he's been pitching in this World Series. Now the delivery to Tommy. Swung on line to the hole between first and left field. Third holds up, however, as Mitchell fires his throw into the plate cut off by Keltner. And Stanky is held at third. Tommy Holmes lined a single to left, but Eddie Stanky could not go any further than third base. Stanky, after having broken his ankle this summer, nursed it back to health in time to get back into the World Series, but it reduced his speed tremendously. That is to say, or to put it uh, perhaps more properly, it slowed him up a great deal more. So now you have runners on first and third, one out, and Al Dark the batter with the score, one to nothing, favor of Cleveland. Bob Lemon pitches to Dark. Curveball is low, ball one. One ball, no strikes. Threat of rain in the air. Activity in the Cleveland bullpen, which is located behind a signboard in deep right center. We can't quite identify the warm-up hurler. Now the pitch and it's a curve outside. Ball two. We believe it to be Steve Gromek. Steve Gromek throwing the bullpen for Cleveland. Bob Lemon, who beat the Braves 4-1 in the second game of the World Series. In a little difficulty right now. Indians lead 1-0. Last to third. Stanky on third. Holmes on first, one out, stretch the pitch. Al Dark takes low, ball three. Ed Kleiman also throwing the bullpen for Cleveland. Kleiman and Gromek. Lemon gets a sign from Hegan. Stanky on third, Holmes on first, one away. And the pitch in there for a call strike. And the count is three and one on Alvin Dark. balls, one strike. Outfield, round toward left. Not too deep in right. Engines infield in double play position. Here's the pitch. Swung on. The ground ball hit back to Lemon. Lemon to Boudreaux for one. Back to Robinson. Double play. Al Dark hits into the double play. Lemon to Boudreaux to Robinson. And that's all for the Braves threat in the last half of the third inning. No runs, one hit, no Indian errors, and one man left on for Boston. And thus you had the spectacle, if we might use that word, of a base hit with a runner on second base, but yet advancing him only to third. And thus the Braves were unable to score, and at the end of three innings of play, the Indians lead one to nothing. Your three-inning totals, Cleveland, one run, four hits, no errors, four men left on, and the Boston Braves, no runs, three hits, no errors, and two men left on base. Thus, we're ready now to move into the top half of the fourth inning. Incidentally, that was the fourth double play that the Cleveland Indians have come up with behind Bob Lemon in the course of this World Series. The Indians have come up with seven double plays overall in this World Series, 
And the pitcher will always tell you that's the greatest play in baseball. Runners on those bases for the boys to come up with that double play and get them out of those jams. All right, Thurman Tucker leads off for Cleveland, top of the fourth. Left-hand batter takes low, ball one. Tucker fouled out in the second inning to Bob Elliott, making his first appearance in the series. Although he's a left-hand hitter, they don't play him to pull too sharply. Takes a delivery into the dirt, ball two. You have to watch Tucker because he's a very fast man. He likes to lay him down that third baseline and beat him out. Bob Elliott, of course, is aware of that. He's laying in close to third. Cleveland Indians getting on Bill Voizel, good-natured bench jockeying. Bill looks back over uh, into the Cleveland dugout. Now he's into the wind-up pitches. Tucker swings and fouls it off to the right of the plate. Two and one the count. Of course, Bill knows most of the boys pretty well. When a member of the New York Giants, Boisel used to pitch against the Indians in spring training. Now the delivery. Swung on to bounding ball, hit out towards second base. Thank you to his right up with it over to first in time for the out. Tucker grounding out. Thank you to Torgerson. Eddie handling himself very loosely and easily as he feels that ball within one stride of second base as you look out onto the field. Now Eddie Robinson steps up, a left-hand batter. Lined out to Stanky in the second inning. Outfield goes back a little deep, almost straight away. Bill Boisel throws, pitch is swung on, fouled off, out of play, back of third. Strike one, as Robinson didn't get around that ball fast enough and hit it on the handle of the bat and fouled it off, out of play. One to nothing, favorite Cleveland. Top half of the fourth inning of the sixth game of the 1948 World Series. For the Indians, one game up, three to two. Now the pitch. Very high fastball. Count even up at one and one. You've got Marv Rickard in left field. Mike uh, McCormick in center. Tommy Holmes in right. Bob Elliott at third. Al Dark short. Ed Stanky second. Earl Torgerson first. Bill Salkel catching. Bill Boisel pitching to Eddie Robinson. Left-hand batter who swings and lines one out to right field. Coming fast is Tommy Holmes. He makes the catch for the out. Robinson lines to Holmes in right field. Tommy had to come in for that ball because it was sinking and might have dropped for the base hit, but for his quick burst of speed and his quick reaction in moving in on that ball. Now with two down, you got Jimmy Higgins stepping up. Jim single to left field in the second inning. Bill Boisel, anxious to work, delivers. Higgins looks at a fastball that's in there for a call strike. Jim Higgins is on his way to becoming one of the all-time... Uh, Great catchers, in most folks' estimation, in the American League. Now the delivery. Swung on and missed strike two as he made Hegan go after a bad ball. A low inside fastball. Two strikes to count on the Indian catcher. One to nothing. Favorite Cleveland, top of the fourth. Boisel throws, sidearm fastball that high outside. One and two. That might have been a sidearm curve instead of a sidearm fastball. In any event, it was outside and high. So the count is one and two. Boisel throws. Pitch is swung on him. Strike three. And I mean, that big bill just reared back and fired that one. No runs, no hits, no errors. Nobody left on. And at the end of three and a half innings, the score, Cleveland won, Boston nothing. Years ago, when the first World Series was played... Nobody dreamed that someday this great baseball classic would be broadcast everywhere as it is today. 
Neither did anybody dream of a razor as advanced in principle as the ultra-modern Gillette Super Speed Razor. This one-piece razor has a notched positioning bar for use with the Gillette Blue Blade Dispenser. You just hook on a blade and it drops in place presto. Then twist the handle and you're ready for the smoothest, most refreshing shave you ever had. There's nothing to fit together, nothing to jam or clog. To clean, simply loosen the razor, rinse and shake. Why not enjoy extra shaving comfort and convenience? Ask for the improved Gillette Super Speed Razor with 10-blade Gillette Dispenser. A big $1.50 value for only a dollar. Last half of the fourth inning. The Boston Braves will be sending up Earl Torgerson, Bob Elliott, and Marv Rickard. You know, incidentally, we had a wire, Jim Britt and I had wires uh, asking us if a player was ever put out of a World Series game for arguing with an umpire, a thing that stemmed from Lou Budo arguing uh, with Bill Stewart the other day. In answer to that, we can tell you that Frank Chance, Cub first baseman and manager in 1910, was put out of a World Series game, and Heine Manush with the Washington Senators, a left fielder, was put out of a World Series game in 1933 by the umpires, but uh, Joe Medrick was put out by the Baseball Commission in the 34 World Series. There's a pitch that's outside for ball one. One ball, no strikes. One to nothing, favorite Cleveland, last half of the fourth inning. Earl Torgerson, left-hand batter. Bob Lemon, the right-hander of the windup. Here's the pitch, and it's in there for a call strike. Count even up at one and one. The outfield playing uh, Torgerson just stepped toward right and center and right, almost straight away and left. And that Tucker's mighty deep in center. He's way back out there. Now the pitch. And it's just outside for ball two, two and one. Third baseman, Kenny Keltner, laying about 12 feet off the third baseline. Lou Boudreau is in about four or five steps at short over near second. Joe Gordon on the edge of the outfield grass, shading second just a little bit more than first. But Eddie Robinson, the first baseman, deep and about five feet off the first baseline. Bob Lemon into the windup. In comes the pitch. Torgerson swings and lifts a fly ball foul. Back of third, going to go out of play, dropping harmlessly to the ground in foul territory. It's not high enough to permit either Kenny Keltner, the third baseman, nor Dale Mitchell, the left fielder, to get to. So the count on the batter is two balls, two strikes. Earl Torgerson, Braves' first baseman, leading off in the last half of the fourth inning. And there was a spectator that uh, reached out onto the playing field and grabbed that ball just as the Boston Braves' ball boy was going to go out there to get it officially. Of course, the fans get quite a kick out of that. Two balls, two strikes. Earl Torgerson sets the plate. Here's the pitch. Swung on. There's a fly ball. Hit out to left field. Dale Mitchell comes in a few uh, steps and makes the catch. And there's one away. Torgerson flies to Mitchell and left. And that brings the plate Bob Elliott. Elliott has an infield hit in the second inning. Now the outfielders march around toward left. Naturally, they play Bob to pull. Bob Elliott. Joe Gordon, the second baseman, is just two strides to the right of second. He's ready to move directly in back of the bag. Now the pitch, and it's low inside, ball one. Kenny Keltner is ready to cover anything hit down that third baseline. Lou Boudreaux is laying back comparatively deep. He plays the most shallow shortstop of anybody. And he's sort of half-facing the third base hole. Now the pitch, and it's low, ball two. Turn ball that broke over the plate but too low, below the knees. And it's a two-nothing count on Bob Elliott. One down, last half of the fourth inning, one to nothing, favor the Cleveland Indians. 
Elliott hit a home run over the right field fence in Cleveland. Now the pitch is high outside. Ball three. He hit it more to right center. And that's exactly where Larry Doby is playing. Doby's playing right field today. But he's over toward right center. He's got, uh, he's giving Bob Elliott a lot of room to hit into down the right field line. The three-nothing pitch on its way. And it's in there for a call strike. And the count is three and one. Three balls, one strike. Freddie Fitzsimmons, coaching at first base for the Braves, hollers down to the plate, said, get yourself a good ball, Bob. Now Lemon's ready. Here's the delivery. Elliott swings and fouls it off behind the plate on the ground. Strike two. And I'm telling you, he swung from way back on that one. He was leveling off of the fence. So you got a full count on Bob Elliott, three and two. Three balls, two strikes, one out, nobody on. Last half of the fourth inning, Cleveland leading one to nothing. Sixth game of the World Series. Cleveland Indians needing just one victory to wrap it up. The Braves needing a victory to prolong it to the seventh game. With a count three and two, Joe Gordon has moved a step closer over towards second. Here's the pitch. Swung on, little roller, hit down the third baseline, and he may be beaten out. He will be. For Bob Elliott. Bob swung with all his might, but succeeded only in topping the pitch. It rolled slowly down the third baseline. Keltner was laying back deep at third, as we told you, so Lemon had to field it. He raced over it, got his bare hand on the ball, but it spun off, and as he tried to pick it up, all the same motion, he sort of half pushed it across the foul line a few feet. And Elliott easily beat it for an infield hit. That's the fourth hit for the Boston Braves. And three of them have been infield hits. All of them on uh, plays that uh, Bob Lemon was involved in. And now you've got uh, Marv Rickard, left-hand hitter. Rickard swings and foul tips it. Strike one. Bob Lemon throws a sinker, which is difficult for a hitter to lift. And thus, they... As he forces these hitters to hit that sinker, they're topping the pitch and making them roll on the ground. Sometimes when the the batter gets ahead of the pitcher in the count, and the pitcher figures he can't get that sinker over, they might give him something a little too fat, and they will hit it up in the air. Marv Rickard, left-hand hitter up, stretched by Lemon, the pitch. Rickard takes outside, ball one, one and one. It's a one-nothing ball game in favor of the Cleveland Indians. We're in the last half of the fourth inning at Braves Field. Bob Elliott's on first base, one out, and Marv Rickard, who flied to center in the second inning, the batter. Lemon all set. Here's his pitch, and it's outside. Ball two. Two balls, one strike. Billy Southworth coaching at third base, slapping his hands together, walking up and down. Freddie Fitzsimmons coaching at first, watching Eddie Robinson for Bob Elliott. Robinson out on the bag with Elliott, but just a step in behind him. Outfield for Marv Rickard. Step toward right, almost straight away. Lemon delivers. Rickard takes strike two call. It was a fastball. It came in there just below the shoulders. Rickard steps out of the batter's box for a moment. Now he's back in hitting position. Count on him two and two. Two balls, two strikes, one out. Lemon looks in to get the sign from Hegan. 
Ready now. Takes a stretch. Elliott moves off first. Here's the pitch. Swung on. There's a long fly ball hit the left field. Dale Mitchell going back. He's going to get under it near the wall. Makes the catch. Elliott all the way down to second. Turns and races back to first. Dale Mitchell caught that ball not more than 8 to 10 feet away from the left field fence. More than uh, 335 feet away from home plate which is a pretty good drive for a left-hand hitter who hits to the opposite field. So there are two down, and Bill Salkel coming up. The Braves catcher grounded out to first baseman Eddie Robinson in the second inning. Left-hand batter. Bob Lemon proceeds to work on him. Elliott moves off first. Now the pitch is outside. Ball one. Kenny Keltner walks in a step or two at third, kicks the dirt, hollers something over to Bob Lemon. Lou Boudreau at short, looks around his outfielders, sees that they're set properly. Now he motions Thurman Tucker to come in a couple of steps. It's really wonderful to watch Lou in action in a ball game. He's busy with something every moment. Now the delivery. Hands a fastball high. Ball two. Lou is either giving signs to Jim Hegan, the catcher, or hollering something to the pitcher, or motioning his outfielders to move a step this way or that way or back or in. I looks around to see where Doby is and Tucker and everybody. Then he has to worry about his own position. Bob Lemon all set. He throws the pitch outside. Ball three. Three balls, no strikes. Bill Salkel, the batter. Kenny Keltner laying about 10, 12 feet off the third baseline. And about halfway back. Lou Boudreau is in halfway over near the bag. Now the pitch. And it's right in there for a call strike. Three and one. Activity in the Indians' bullpen. Steve Gromek and Eddie Kleiman, two right-handers throwing. Joe Gordon, very deep, halfway between first and second. He's back on the outfield grass. Now the delivery. There goes Elliott. Pitch is taken outside. Ball four. Evidently, they had the hit and run on. I don't think Elliott was trying to steal. Evidently, had the hit and run on, and the pitch was way outside. It was taken for ball four. And now Saul Kell has an equal number of bases on balls as Eddie Stanky. They both have uh, worked uh, Cleveland pitchers for five bases on balls during the course of the series. So Saul Kell is on first. Bob Elliott's on second. There are two down. And the batter is Mike McCormick, who grounded out to Kenny Kelton in the second inning. Mike has had uh, five base hits in the series. Outfield playing McCormick toward left, not too deep. Bob Lemon throws. McCormick takes strike call. Curveball. Got the outside corner just above the letters. Larry Doby is comparatively shallow in right field. McCormick's power is more to left center. Left or left center. Now the pitch is going on. Second to tie up the ball game at one and one, sending 
Falkell to second, and here's Eddie Stanky, right-hand batter. First pitch to him is outside for ball one. That's the second run batted in in the series for Mike McCormick. Thus, the Braves are battling back in their own wigwam on the banks of the Charles here in Boston, tying up Cleveland at one and one. Bob Lemon ready, throws, Stanky takes, outside, ball two. Stanky drew a base on balls in the third inning. Incidentally, for those of you who are sticklers for statistics, and I don't know why I use that expression for a radio announcer, sticklers for statistics, that is the first earned run in the series off Bob Lemon. The run the Braves got off of him in the second game was not earned, as he beat them then 4-1. Now the pitch to Stanky's inside. Ball three. Three balls, no strikes, two outs, two men on. Bill Saul Cal's on second. Mike McCormick on first. One run in, last fourth inning, score tied one and one. Lou Boudreaux is trying to sneak in behind Bill Saul Cal, and the crowd hollers, look out. The stretch by Lemon, the pitch, swung on. A bounder hit foul down the third baseline, fielded by manager Billy Southworth. Billy looks at the ball and says something wrong with it and motions to the umpires. He's going to toss it out and they say, okay, Bill. These Boston fans have come to respect manager Lou Boudreaux's great pickoff play as he began to edge in behind Bill Salkel before the previous pitch. Everybody in the stands started hollering, look out, look out. Of course, that isn't fair, is it? Indians won't be able to work the play if the fans get in on this thing. Eddie Stanky up the plate. Three balls, one strike. Stretched by Bob Lemon. Lou easing in behind. There's the attempted pick off the throw. Not in time. And let me tell you something. Lou Boudreau caught the ball and stepped toward the mound to return it to Bob Lemon. If he had stayed there and re-tagged, Saul Kelly had him out because Saul Kelly lost his balance. Lou just saw he didn't have him and took a step toward the mound to return the ball. Saul Kelly, for some reason, lost his balance and his footing. And if Lou had just stood there and tagged him again, he'd have had him. There's the attempt to pick off again, the throw, and it hits Saul Kell. And Joe Gordon, backing up, gets the ball. The ball, the ball hit Bill Saul. <laughs> the, the ball hit Bill. Well, Bill will have to eat dinner, stand up for about a week. Lou, Lou Boudreaux never did get his glove on the ball, and uh, it was Joe Gordon who had to finally feel it as it was slowed up by Bill Salkel as the Indians again attempted to pick off. Three balls, one strike on Eddie Stanky. Salkel leads off second. Mike McCormick off first. The stretch by Bobby Lemon. Here's the pitch. Stanky takes high. Ball four. And that loads him up. Salkel moves over to third. Mike McCormick down to second. And Stanky takes over at first. Bill Boisel, the batter, with the bases jammed, two outs. Saul Kell on third, Mike McCormick on second, Stanky on first. One run in, score tied, 1-1 one, one last to fourth. The pitch in there for a call strike to Boisel. I think perhaps the most surprised individual in this ballpark... In the event that Boisel would get a base hit, would be Bill Boisel. Now the pitch. Boisel takes inside. Ball one. 
Bill likes to brag about his hitting prowess, but only in a jocular fashion. He says, shucks, I'm just paid to pitch, and that's all I try to do. But he says, I'm up there swinging, since you never know when I'm liable to get hold of one. Now the pitch is on its way. Fastball, it's high. Ball two, two and one. And Bobby Lemon is a little bit angry with himself. Lemon came off the mound and took the return throw from Hegan. Now, I think Jim Hegan a little bit uh, angry with Bob. I mean, to the extent that he fired that ball back at Lemon. Come on, Bob, get the ball over. Two balls, one strike. Bases jammed. Two outs. Lemon into the windup and the pitch. Swung on and missed. Strike two. Two two the count. Eddie Robinson came dashing over to first base to take a possible pickoff throw from Hegan. Eddie Stanky had pretty good lead off first, but Eddie got back in plenty of time. Brady Fitzsimmons watching Robinson for Stanky. So you got a count of two balls, two strikes, two outs, bases jammed. Bob Lemon into the windup. Here's the pitch to Bill Boisel. Swung on, it's a ground ball out towards second. Gordon grabs it, up with it, almost booted it. Throws over to Robinson in time for the out. One run for the Boston Braves. One, two hits, no Cleveland errors, and three men left on for Boston. At the end of four innings of play, it is a 1-1 ball game. Cleveland, one run, four hits, no errors. The Braves, one run, five hits, no errors. With the Cleveland Indians having stranded four men and the Braves, five men. You know, most men enjoy corking good scrap between top-flight boxers. If you're one of them, tune in Gillette's Cavalcade of Sports for the major boxing event of the week every Friday night. Consult your daily newspaper for time and station. We pause ten seconds for station identification. This is the Mutual Broadcasting System. You'll hear a queen for a day immediately following today's World Series game over WOR, New York. Going into the top half of the fifth inning. It's going to be Bob Lemon leading off for the Cleveland Indians, and then we'll go to the top of the order to pick up Dale Mitchell and Larry Doby. Incidentally, for your edification, Bob Feller has just gone down to the bullpen for the Cleveland Indians. He's not warming up, but he's down there to be ready. Bill Boisel pitching to Bob Lemon, who swings and lifts a high pop-up down toward first base, Earl Torkson under it in fair territory. And he makes the catch a foot inside the foul line and about 10 feet toward home plate from first base for out number one. Bob Lemon, who flied to left field in the second inning, pops out to Earl Torgerson on the first pitch, leading off in the top half of the fifth inning. Score tied 1-1. And now we go to the top of the order to pick up Dale Mitchell. Mitchell flied to center field in the first inning, double to left in the third. Left-hand hitter. Big Bill Boisel into that windup. Comes in with an overhand fastball that's in there. Just above the knees for a call strike. Mitchell's a six foot one, 195 pounder. Left-hand hitter. Swings and lifts a high pop-up foul off to the left of the plate. There's Bob Elliott racing over near the stands. Gets under it. Makes the catch. Mitchell fouls out to Bob Elliott, who made a nice play as he raced all the way across the foul line to the edge of the Braves' dugout, which is a pretty good dash since there's a lot of room between the stands and the foul line here at Braves Field. Caught the ball just at the edge of the stands near the Braves' dugout. 
Now with two down, up to the plate steps, Larry Doby. Single to left in the first inning, fly to left in the third. Left-hand batter. He looks at a fastball inside around the letters for ball one. The folks in Patterson, New Jersey, claim Larry Doby as their hometown boy. And we have indicated that many times. Here's a pitch low outside, ball two. We have also said that he resides in Norwood, Ohio. Or is it uh, Norwalk, Ohio? The uh, Cleveland Public Relations Director insists that he resides in Norwalk, Ohio, but we know for a fact that he does live in Patterson, New Jersey. Now there's a fastball low for ball three. Chances are he lives in Norwalk, Ohio during the course of the summer when he's playing ball with Cleveland, but his main home is in Patterson, New Jersey. Now the 3-0 pitch on its way to the left-hand batter. Larry Doby takes it, and it's high, ball four. Doby gets base on balls, which is the first walk issued by Boisel in this ball game, although he hit Lou Boudreaux in the small of the back with the pitch ball in the first inning. Speaking of Lou Boudreaux, here he is. Hit by pitched ball, first time that he appeared at the plate. Lou doubled in the third to score Dale Mitchell, who had previously doubled for the first run of the ball game. We're tied up 1-1, top of the fifth. Larry Doby leads off first to stretch. The pitch has a pitch out. The runner's not going. No throw. Ball one. They thought Larry Doby might be stealing. Call for a pitch out, but Larry was not going down. Doby is terrific at bluffing a dash to second. He can really fool you on that. He might attempt to steal. You never can tell. We'll watch him for you. Torgerson holding the bag. Doby inches off. Takes a pretty big lead. The stretch. The pitch swung on by Boudreaux as a long fly ball hit the left field. Getting under it is Marv Rickert. He's waiting, and he makes the catch. No runs, no hits, no errors. One left on. And at the end of four and a half innings, the score, Cleveland won, Braves won. Men, to enjoy the cleanest and most refreshing shaves you ever had, prepare your whiskers with Gillette shaving cream and ease them off with today's Gillette Blue Blade and your Gillette razor. Both Gillette Brushless and Gillette Lather remove moisture-resisting oil from your beard pronto. Every whisker gets a thorough soaking and softens up in a hurry. Another thing, both of these Gillette creams now contain K34. This amazing facial antiseptic destroys 85 to 99% of all dangerous bacteria on and beneath outer layers of the skin. So you wind up with a surgically clean face. Yes, your face is as clean as clean can be. Men, for extra shaving luxury plus the cleanest face you ever had, use Gillette Shaving Cream, lather or brushless, a quarter. Only Gillette Shaving Cream contains K-34. Speaking about K-34, here's a fellow that looks sharp, feels sharp, and looks like he's ready to be mighty sharp. As he goes into the final four and a half innings of this ball game, barring extra innings, Jim Britt. Thank you, Mel. Good afternoon again, everyone. The leadoff batter for the Boston Braves will be right fielder Tommy Holmes, who has one hit in two trips, four hits in 23 trips in the series. It was he, you'll recall, who beat Bob Feller in the first game by driving in the winning run. The outfield is set just a little to the right of straightaway. Lemon winds up and fires one right over for a call strike, a fastball. As Mel has been telling you, Lemon's best pitch, his most effective pitch, has been a sinker ball, and that, no doubt has set up the four double plays with which the Indians have backed him up during the series in his two outings. Here it comes. There's a drive that goes down the left field line. Mitchell is retreating over toward the line, and he takes it on the run for the first out. Not too well hit, 
It was a fly ball, nevertheless, which carried about 305 or 310 feet. So that chops Tommy Holmes down to one hit and three trips, and it brings up Alvin Dark, who twice has figured in double plays. Once he hit into one with a ground ball back to Lemon, and the other time, after beating out a bunt, he was doubled off first base in the second outfield double play of the series. Alvin has four hits and 22 trips. He stands straight away, up even with a plate, and the first pitch is low and outside. He's a right-hander. The outfield scarcely changes itself much between Holmes and Dark because the two of them are capable of hitting the ball to all three fields. Freddie Fitzsimmons coaching at first, Bill Southworth coaching at third, and the score, 1-1. Here it comes. There's a ground ball back to Lemon. He has plenty of time to throw him out. Mr. Lemon, you know, had nine chances in the first series game, just two shy of Nick Altrock's all-time World Series record. And in this game today, he has had three. He's had three assists and has just missed a couple more. Two men out as Dark returns to the mound and Earl Torgerson steps up. Torgerson made a bid for a Texas leaguer that might have set a scoring opportunity for the Braves in the first, but it was turned into a Tucker to Robinson double play, doubling Dark off first. Then his last time at bat, he flied to left. He's a left-hander. The pitch in the dirt, ball one. Everyone agrees that Jim Hegan has turned in a magnificent job of catching during this series. Yesterday's game, of course, took sort of a lusterless finish off the series as both teams unveiled a real display of power. Lemon delivers. There's a foul ball back over the top, and the count is one ball, one strike. The young man in the Cleveland batting order who seems to have the number of Bill Voisel is right fielder Larry Doby because Doby has walked once and solved Voisel's delivery twice successfully with base hits. Torgerson is the Braves' leading batter with 6 and 16. He had a mark of 429 until Lemon handcuffed him in his two opportunities at the plate today. The outfield plays Torgy deep. He specializes in line drive home runs. The pitch, high and wide, and the count is 2 and 1. Torgerson comes from Snohomish, Washington, where he has been nicknamed the second Earl of Snohomish. The first, of course, was the great Earl Averill. And Averill, incidentally, saw the game at Cleveland yesterday. Here's the pitch. There goes a little pop fly out towards center field. Boudreau and Gordon on the run, and Gordon makes a nice running catch going away. Joe went back a second base to take it. And in the last half of the fifth inning, no runs, no hits, no errors, none left. That is the first inning in which Lemon has retired the Braves, one, two, three. So the totals. At the end of five innings of play of one of the hardest fought, low-scoring duels of the series, Boston Braves one run, five hits, no errors, six runners left. Cleveland one run, four hits, no errors, five runners left. If you're interested in the scoring of the series so far, the Braves have outscored the Indians 15 to 14. Cleveland has come up with a total of 32 hits against 39 for the Braves. The Braves have made twice as many misplays, 6 to 3. And in the matter of leaving runners stranded, the Braves have left 33 on base against Cleveland's 32. Probably no series of modern times has been more grudgingly contested, with the exception of Lemon's 4-1 victory in yesterday's 11-5 slugfest. In the first half of the sixth inning, Joe Gordon, the great Cleveland second baseman, will be the batter. He carried an average of 167 into the game, but it's dropped down to 150. Since his first time up, he flied to left, and then he fouled to third. He's a right-hander. Boyzell pitches. High and wide. Ball one. 
Bill McKechnie is doing the coaching at third base for the Indians, and Mel Harder, as usual, is doing the coaching at first. Their combination is constant. The windup, the pitch, too close, a fastball, and the count is 2 and nothing. Center fielder Mike McCormick is positioned over in left center field. Tommy Holmes is about 100 feet inside the right field foul line in the direction of right center field. Right field is wide open. Here it comes. Strike called, fastball. The count, two balls, one strike. The weatherman has been good to us all through the series. It has, it has never been particularly sunny, but the weather has always been adequate. The pitch. There goes a long fly ball to left field, and that may be troublesome. Rickard is going back near the fence, and the ball is out of the lock for a home run, putting Cleveland in front, two to one. Joe Gordon hit a long, high fly ball that just cleared the fence to the left of the huge scoreboard. His first home run of the series, his fourth hit of the series, and it is now 2-1 to one as Billy Southworth rushes some relievers into action in the bullpen. Ken Keltner is the batter. He's a right-hander, and he lets the ball go by on the outside. Keltner got a hit his first time up in the series, and he has nothing in his last 18 trips. The outfield deep to the left. There goes a high pop fly back of third base. Bob Elliott is going back, calling for it in foul territory, and he takes it for the first out. So that's none and three for Keltner in this game. Once more, Bob Lemon and the Cleveland Indians are on top by a score of two to one. The first run of the game was scored by Cleveland in the third when Mitchell singled to left just inside the line, and then after Dolby had flied out, Boudreaux bounced a double off Tommy Holmes's glove near the line in right field. But the Braves tied it up on Elliott's infield hit, a base on balls, and a single. Tucker is the batter. The first pitch is low outside, ball one. He bears a startling resemblance, facially, to Joey Brown, the motion picture comedian. He's playing center field today and has no hits in two trips in the series. The pitch, ball outside, a fastball, two and nothing. Two balls, no strikes. Ball three, three and oh. Three balls and no strikes. Joe Gordon's home run was his fourth in World Series competition. Here's the pitch. That one missed the inside corner, and it is the second base on balls given up by Boisel. Tucker goes to first base, and that will bring up tall, left-handed Eddie Robinson of Paris, Texas. Mr. Gordon, a little earlier in the series, collected his 24th hit in World Series competition. And his fourth home run has put Cleveland in front two to one. Robinson is hitless in two trips. Boisel delivers. Outside. Ball one. Boisel has suddenly lost his ability to catch the corners. And Red Barrett and Warren Spawn, the latter the hero of yesterday's game defensively, are warming up. The stretch. The pitch. Inside. Ball two. Two and nothing. Eddie Stanky charges in from his second base position in an effort to settle down the big South Carolinian. Boisel turned his back on him for an instant, not knowing that Eddie was there. They make quite a picture, by the way. Stanky is very much shorter than Bill. He pats him affectionately on the back with his glove and then goes back to his position. Stanky occasionally, with a right-hander up, will play out on the grass about five or six feet to the right of second base. With a left-hander like Eddie Robinson, he's about 35 feet to the right of second. 
One man out in the sixth inning. Boisell working from a stretch. There goes the runner. And there's a drive to right field for a solid base hit. Tucker is all the way to third base as Holmes throws into Stanky. Runners on first and third. And Boisell is on the ropes. Jim Hegan will be the next batter. Robinson lined a solid single into right field. One of the most solid hits of the ball game and his fifth of the series in 19 trips. Jim Hegan has one hit. He singled to left in the second inning, then he went down swinging in the fourth inning. Boisel takes his stretch. He throws it. There's a ground ball, and that one goes to Elliott. Elliott throws to second. Second to first, and it is dropped, and it is three to one. Stanky's throw to first base was poor. It was high. It struck the heel of Earl Torgerson's glove, and he knocked it down as the Braves blew a perfect opportunity to retire the side with a double play. Tucker scored. On Hegan's fielder's choice, no error is charged. Hegan. Hegan is given credit for driving in a run. He's on first base with two men out. The play was five to four. Elliott to Stanky, and Bob Lemon comes up. Boisel, with luck, could have been out of the inning. But the Braves have consistently been unable to match Cleveland's double plays. Here's the pitch. There goes a ground ball right to Torgerson. He steps on first to retire the side as Bob Lemon goes right after that first pitch. One, two runs for Cleveland in the inning. Two hits, no errors, a base on balls, and a runner left. And at the end of five and a half innings of play, the score is Cleveland three, Boston one. When a ball player gets a hold of a bat that bangs out hits, he doesn't want to part with it. That's the way Eddie Pellegrini of the St. Louis Browns felt about his veteran Gillette Razor until... But here's Eddie to tell you the story. Hello, fans. I always thought my old Gillette Razor was tops until on the train one morning recently, I tried a friend's new Super Speed Razor. And you liked it? I sure did. In fact, I bought one for myself as soon as we got to Chicago. Are you still sold on it? Jim, I wouldn't part with it if I couldn't get another just like it. Fans, you'll say the same when you try the modern Gillette Super Speed Razor that changes blades instantly and makes shaving a cinch. Buy one with a 10-blade dispenser, a big $1.50 value for only a dollar. Cleveland came up with two runs in the first half of the sixth inning as Joe Gordon hit his fourth World Series home run, his first in this one, and the Braves missed a double play. So Cleveland now has three runs, six hits, no errors, six men left, and Lemon is within one run of facing an exactly similar situation to game number two, in which he was the winner by a four-to-one score. Bob Elliott is the batter. He had two home runs yesterday to tie the all-time National League World Series record, and he has two infield hits today. There's a drive to right center field. He's been there perhaps for extra bases. But Doby goes over fast, cuts it down, and guns a throw into Gordon as Elliott goes back to first. A fine defensive play by Doby, who ranged from right field into right center to hold Elliott to his third straight single. Elliott on first base. There's wild-up activity again in the Cleveland bullpen as Marv Rickard comes up. And mindful of the fact that he hit a home run a little bit earlier in the series... The Boston Braves partisans are beginning to whoop it up a little. Rickard is a left-hander. Here's the pitch. There's a ground ball. It goes to Gordon. Gordon throws to Boudreaux. Boudreaux back to first. Double play. And Cleveland has come up with its eighth double play of the series. 
five of them back of Bob Lemon, by the way. That Cleveland double play combination has been brilliant. Three double plays in support of Lemon today and two in the second game of the series. That one was Gordon to Boudreaux to Robinson. So there are two men out. And the batter is Bill Salkel. Bill has drawn five bases on balls in the series. He has a home run. He's a left-handed batter. And the first pitch is a fastball that just fires its way over the plate. Feller, Gromek, and Kleiman are all out in the bullpen, available for relief duty in the event they're needed, and they have warmed up at various times. Feller usually warms up nearly every day. He believes in taking some regular pitching exercise, so that is in no way a hint that he may see service in the event Lemon weakens. Lemon so far has shown not the slightest hint that he will do so. He delivers. There's a ground ball that goes to Gordon. Joe is up with it. He waits for Robinson to cover and throws Saul Keld out. Four to three, second to first. Mr. Gordon was the star of that half inning. No runs, one hit, no errors, none left. So in six innings, the Braves have one run, six hits, and they have left five men on base. And Mr. Bob Elliott has had half of the six hits with three singles, and he scored the only run. The first scoring took place in the third inning when Mitchell led off with a double inside the left field line. After Dobie went out, he held second, but then Boudreaux hit a fly ball down the right field line, and Holmes, after a hard run, dropped it for a two-base hit. The Braves tied the score in the fourth inning when, with one out, Elliott beat out a slow roller down the third baseline, Rickert flied to left, Salkeld walked, and McCormick singled. And then Cleveland took a 3-1 to lead in the sixth inning. Now we pause ten seconds for station identification. This is the Mutual Broadcasting System. You'll hear Queen for a Day immediately following today's World Series game over WOR, New York. This is Jim Britt back at Braves Field on the banks of the Charles River in Boston, where the sixth World Series game score stands Cleveland 3, Boston Braves 1. Cleveland was confident of wrapping it up yesterday, but the Braves erupted with a display of power that was unprecedented in this series. Dale Mitchell is the leadoff batter. He has a double in three trips. He's the Cleveland left fielder. Bill Voisel still on the mound for the Braves. And there goes a fly ball to right center field. Mike McCormick goes back, stands, and waits for it. He takes it for the first out. A routine fly ball. That's the second time Mitchell has flied out to center field. But over in the Boston Braves bullpen... Spawn and Barrett are warming up. That obviously is because Boisel is slated to be the seventh Boston batter in the last half of the seventh inning. Larry Doby, the batter. Boisel, in four tries, has been able to retire him only once. He's hit twice and walked once. Ball one. One ball, no strikes. There goes a drive to center field, a hard line smash that drops safely, and it's a base hit. That's the third hit for Doby off Boisel. And incidentally, it gives Larry a total of seven hits in the series, which, if my record is correct, is tops. Elliott has seven now, too. Elliott and Doby are tied with seven hits. Lou Boudreau, the batter. He doubled in the first Cleveland run. He's a right-hander. There's a pitch out, but no throw was made to first as Doby bluffed a steal. Doby is very fast. The attendance is 40,103. That's capacity here at Braves Field. 
One ball, no strikes. The pitch. Low inside. The count. Two balls, no strikes. It looked for an instant as though Boudreaux was either going to bunt or intended to bluff a bunt, even with one out. Boudreaux was hit right on the small of the back by one of Boisel's pitches in the first inning. Then he doubled down the line in right field to drive in a run in the third, and he hoisted a fly to left in the fifth inning. So he has one out of two officially today, and six out of 21 in the series. Dobie is bluffing, and he is almost picked off. A fast throw over to first base, and he got back by one hand. He didn't slide. He just fell forward and grabbed the bag. The outfield is set to the left. Boisel is standing back of the rubber. Now he toes it, takes a stretch. As Dobie starts edging off, he draws another throw but gets back easily this time under Mel Harder's instructions. And time is called for an instant as Dobie goes off the bag. And as he ties a shoelace on his right baseball shoe, Mel Harder kneels down and confers with him. Two balls, no strikes. One man out, Dobie on first. The seventh inning, Cleveland leading 3-1. Here's the pitch. There's a ground foul down the third baseline. That one missed being an extra base hit by a margin of about three feet. Cleveland scored one run in the third, and two of the fans that time were so eager to capture that souvenir ball out on the field that they fell right over the flag draped bunting and got it, of course. The count, two balls, one strike. The great Cleveland manager is having a good series for himself. Boudreaux bats from that crouch. Boisel stretches. There goes the runner, and a foul ball will bring him back. A high foul out of play to run the count to two and two. Toby turned around and started back and was halfway back to first base even before the ball dropped down in the first baseline. Two strikes, two balls the count. Today, possibly it's because today's crowd is just a little less than half of yesterday's. The excitement of the two dugouts even seems to be missing. There's not much chatter except some occasional bench jockeying. Two and two the count. The pitch. There's a ground ball that goes to Elliott. Elliott throws to Stanky. That's one. Stanky to first. Double play. Elliott to Stanky to Torgerson. And the Braves have finally managed to complete an around-the-horn double play for their third twin kill of the series. And everybody is up now as the stretch half of the seventh occurs. At the end of six and a half innings of play, the score is Cleveland 3, Boston Braves 1. Last inning, you heard Eddie Pellegrini of the St. Louis Browns say he thought his old Gillette was tops until he tried a friend's Gillette Super Speed Razor. Fans, it stands to reason that over the years, Gillette technicians have made many improvements in the convenience and shaving qualities of Gillette razors. Yes, and if you're not using the improved Gillette Super Speed Razor, you can't imagine what you're missing. This is the easiest shaving, most convenient razor ever. Among other features, it has a notched positioning bar for use with a Gillette dispenser. Just zip out a blade, hook it in place, twist the handle, and the razor closes. Beautifully designed, superbly made, this is a precision instrument. It can't jam, can't clog, and you don't have to be a locksmith to change blades instantly. Enjoy modern shaving satisfaction. Get a Gillette Super Speed Razor plus 10-blade Gillette dispenser. A big dollar fifty value for a dollar. Cleveland collected no runs, one hit in that seventh inning, left no one on. The Indians have a total of three runs, seven hits so far in this game. And the leadoff batter to oppose Bob Lemon in the seventh will be Mike McCormick, who has one hit in two trips, six out of 21. 
And it was he who scored Bob Elliott with the Braves' only run in the fourth. The Braves trail one to three. Lemon pitches, and it's a strike called. It's getting very cloudy overhead, very dark, and somewhat ominous looking, as though there will be, after all, a threat of rain. One strike to count. Lemon takes his windup, and McCormick looks at one outside. That was a curveball, a count, one ball, one strike. Actually, although he has yielded an earned run in this game, Lemon has been just about as effective in this one as he was in the first when he allowed eight hits but scattered them. Bob takes his windup, pitches, swing and a miss. He broke off a curveball, let her high near the outside, and the count is one ball, two strikes. Billy Southworth is coaching at third base. Freddie Fitzsimmons is doing the coaching at first. Lefty Warren Spawn and Red Barrett are still the Braves' warm-up pitchers. The windup, but before Lemon could start to pitch, McCormick stepped out. Bill Summers called time. Mike indicated that he had something in his eye. Lemon standing on the rubber. Get your sign. Here's the pitch. Outside. Curveball that missed the outside corner. Not by much. Two and two the count. Eddie Stanky is in the on-deck circle, and there will doubtless be a pinch hitter for Big Bill Voizel in this frame since he is scheduled to be the third batter. Here it comes. Swing and a miss. Strike three. Lemon fired a fastball, and that is his first strikeout of this game. He saved it for the stretch half of the seventh inning. Eddie Stanky hasn't had an opportunity to hit in this game. He has walked twice and has been left stranded both times. In the third inning, he got as far as third base on a bunt and a single. And then in the fourth inning, he got just as far as first. He's a right-hander. He swings and misses. That's about as hard as you'll see Stanky swing. He went after a curveball. One strike to count. One man out on the Braves trail. One to three. This is another of the low-scoring games with defense, the outstanding factor. Lemon winds up, pitches, outside. He wastes that one, and the count is one and one. One ball, one strike. The outfield set to the left. Billy Southworth is hopeful of sending this into a seventh and final World Series game, but Boudreaux is supremely confident. Strike, called. A fastball for a call, strike two, and the count is one and two. Feller and Gromek are warming up for Cleveland as a precautionary measure. There's no one on. Lemon is in no trouble in this frame. He's yielded at least one hit in every inning, save the fifth. He pitches. There's a slow roller that goes to third base. Keltner comes up, is off balance, throws, and he gets it. Bill Stewart held up his decision, seemed to be weighing it for an instant, and then gave the outside. Stanky's speed has been reduced as a result of the injury. And that was accountable for the fact that he was unable to beat that out since it was bobbled briefly by Keltner. Buck McCormick is going to bat for Bill Voisel. Frank McCormick has a batting average of 250. He's had one hit in four trips. And that means that either Warren Spahn or Red Barrett is likely to come in and replace Bill Voisel in the eighth inning. Two men out as McCormick faces Lemon. Lemon, incidentally, has allowed only one hit over the last three full innings. He pitches and throws a sidearm pitch outside for ball one. One ball, no strikes. 
The Braves haven't been able to find the range on the fences in their own ballpark, but they did so yesterday at Cleveland. Joe Gordon, however, found the range for his fourth World Series home run today in the sixth inning. There's a ground ball to Keltner, right back of the bag. He looks it over, fires to first in time for the out. He seems to be reading the signature on it for an instant before unloading. So that's a one, two, three inning for Lemon. No runs, no hits, no errors, none left. And at the end of seven innings of play, the Boston Braves trail by a score of one to three. Warren Spahn goes over to get his jacket out of the bullpen, and it is he who is being called in for the second consecutive day in a relief roll. Yesterday, his pitching was superb. He allowed a double to Lou Boudreau, but he struck out five of the last six minutes, Cleveland, in one of the all-time great clutch exhibitions of World Series history. To refresh your memory, yesterday, when he came into the ball game, the bases were empty with one out in the fourth inning. He got by the first batter, Bob Feller, then walked a man, and then in his last five and one-third innings, he struck out seven, and in the eighth inning, he struck out Gordon, Keltner, and Boone in order. Then in the ninth inning, after Robinson had flied out, he fanned Hegan and Joe Tipton in succession. The score is Cleveland, three runs, seven hits, no errors. The Boston Braves, one run, six hits, and no errors. Spawn will have to oppose Gordon, Keltner, and Tucker. He didn't pitch to Tucker yesterday, by the way, but the first time he faced Gordon and Keltner, he struck them out. Yesterday, he wasn't throwing his curveball for much purpose other than that of wasting it. He was keeping the Indians constantly guessing by an assortment of slow and fast stuff. He was changing up. His fastball was extremely effective. And two or three of the Clevelanders afterwards said that his pitching had been tougher than any they'd seen in this series. Cleveland has had some great pitching performance performances, and there have been three shutouts, you recall. The authors were Sane, Bearden, and Gromek in that order. Joe Gordon has one hit in three trips today. His fourth World Series home run. He's a right-hander. Spawn gets set. Here's the pitch. And there goes a drive towards left field. Rickard goes over fast, takes it, falls down, rolls over, and holds it. A fine play. And it happened almost under the feet of the National League left field foul judge umpire, Babe Pinelli. And there, incidentally, is another reason why having those umpires stationed out on the line is an excellent idea, because Pinelli was only 10 feet away from Rickard when he described a somersault, and he was perfectly positioned to see that he had held the ball. Keltner, the batter. Keltner has no hits in three trips. Here it comes. Swing and a miss. He guessed. He seemed to guess on that. He held his swing until the last instant and then swung very quickly at a fastball. One strike. The outfield is deep to the left. Spawn delivers. Throws another fastball outside and the count is one and one. Red Barrett continues to warm up for the Boston Braves and Vernon Bickford is also loosening up. Spawn takes his wind up with one out and none on. There's a ground ball that bounces away from Spawn. Dark picks it up, throws to first, not in time, and it scored base hit. That's the second hit he's allowed in a relief roll. 
It bounded away from Spawn, was picked up on the dead run by Aldark, and Keltner has just collected his second hit of the series. He now has a total of two hits and 21 trips, but there were 19 unsuccessful at-bats in between. He had one of the series' most dismal slumps. Thurman Tucker, the center fielder up. He fouled to third base, grounded to second, walked and scored the third run. There goes the drive to right field. It's in there. Tommy Holmes fields it on the dead run and holds the runners to first and second. He stepped right into that very first pitch that was fired to him by Warren Spawn. And now Eddie Robinson comes up with runners on first and second. Spawn is not the puzzle to the Indians. This afternoon that he was yesterday. Yesterday, Lou Boudreau was the only hitter, getting a double in the eighth inning. And then the next three men were struck out. But now, with one out, and it took a fine catch by Rickard to retire Gordon, Robinson is up with two men on. He has one out of three. Eddie is a left-hander. Strike called. That was a slow curveball that came over. Keltner on second base. Tucker on first base. And the Indians are in scoring position again. They now have nine hits. One hit more than they had behind Lemon in his first victory. Spawn takes a stretch, looks at second, pitches, threw a curveball that missed the outside corner, and the count is one and one. One ball, one strike. Bill McKechnie holds up one finger to be certain that the runners realize the situation is one out. Tucker has a man-sized lead at first. Kelder takes a longer one. Here it comes. There's a drive that goes into right field for a base hit. And here comes Keltner sprinting for the plate with a fourth Indian run. Runners are on first and third as three consecutive hits rattle off Juan Spawn's delivery, and Cleveland takes a lead of four to one. That was Robinson's sixth hit of the series. Keltner scored. Tucker went all the way to third base. And we're looking down below to see whether or not Billy Southworth intends to make an appearance. Jim Hegan is getting ready to bat, and Spawn apparently is going to stay in. Cleveland leads 4-1. to one. That was the score by which Lemon won the second game. Spawn takes a stretch. Here it comes. Outside, fastball. Tucker on third base, Robinson on first base. And Robinson's line drive was well over Torgerson's head down the right field line, with Holmes running fast to cover. One ball, no strikes. There's a throw to first base. Robinson is back in time under Mel Harder's shout of look out. This is the gloomiest day we've had. It has turned into it weather-wise. Another throw to first base, but Robinson is back easily. Cleveland now has four runs, ten hits. And the Indians are still in a rallying position. The outfield is deep to the left. The pitch, swing and a miss. That was a fast ball, and the count is one and one. The Indians broke a one-run tie, which lasted through the first five innings of play. Time called for an instant. Lou Boudreau hollered from the dugout as Hegan got ready to step out. And then Bill Summers insisted that the pitcher wait. The infield is in. The stretch, the pitch, swing and a miss. That was a fastball, letter high to the outside, and the count is one ball, two strikes. The situation in the sixth game of the World Series is inning number eight. Thanks to that fine catch by Rickert, who held the ball off Gordon's bat after somersaulting, Spawn 
has been touched up so far for only one run. This could have been a very sizable inning, and still may be. Hegan stepped out of the box, rubbed some dirt into his hands, is back in again. He's a tall, well-built, good-looking catcher with a great future. Spawn is ready. Swing and a miss for strike three. A fastball. That's the third Cleveland strikeout of the game. Bob Lemon is coming out of the dugout to bat. He has been a great competitor in this series. In 16 innings, the Braves have reached him for only two runs, one of them unearned. And in 16 innings, if you're further interested, he has scattered 14 hits. And that is mightily effective pitching on any occasion. Warren Spahn takes his stretch. Robinson has a long lead, and he dares him to pick him off. The throw is to the plate, and they have Tucker chopped off. Here's the throw, and he's out. He tried to knock the ball out of Salkel's hands with a rush, and I'm afraid that Tucker's glasses were broken. He smashed into Salkel. The play, incidentally, went from Spawn to Torgerson to Salkel to Elliott to Salkel, who tagged Tucker, and I fear Tucker's glasses were broken on the play. So at the end of seven and a half innings of play, the score is Cleveland four, Boston Braves one. Men, think of getting a world-famous Gillette Tech razor with five Gillette blue blades for only 49 cents. Believe me, that's a lot for the money. With the Gillette Tech, you get shaves that are smooth, clean, and refreshing. That's why more men shave with this razor than with all other makes combined. The Gillette Tech has a solid bar guard that sets up whiskers as a barber does. Its non-skid tread protects you from nicks and cuts. The blade is held rigidly, eliminating edge vibration. The Tech is non-clogging, rinses instantly. Yes, fans, the Gillette Tech is a terrific shaving bargain. So to enjoy real shaving comfort and save money, buy a Gillette Tech razor with five Gillette blue blades at the amazingly low price of 49 cents. The Cleveland Indian Bat Boy has gone to the clubhouse to return with a new pair of eyeglasses for Thurman Tucker. What happened on the play was this. Eddie Robinson, who was on first base, presumably dared Spawn to pick him off. The Indian strategy was designed to make Spawn throw to first base to give Tucker a chance to score at the plate if anything went awry. But Earl Torgerson very quickly threw the ball home. They may be asking the Boston Braves whether or not they will permit a courtesy player to go into center field until Tucker gets his eyeglasses. What happened is Bill, Bill Summers has explained to Billy Southworth that he wants the game to be held up until Tucker's glasses arrive and the bat boy has just come out with him to save the day. Tucker appeared to be cut very slightly. The crowd is giving him the treatment because of the way he ran into the catcher, but that's baseball. The idea was for him to try to score on the play. The play, by the way, was spawn the pitcher to Torgerson, the first baseman, to the catcher, Bill Salkeld, to Elliott, the third baseman, back to Salkeld, who got the put out, and Robinson, who had gotten to second base, was not credited with a steal. 
Cleveland leads by a score of 4-1. to one. And Tommy Holmes is the batter in the last half of the eighth inning. Lemon pitches. And there's a drive that goes to center field for a base hit. Holmes leads off with his second hit of the ballgame. That is hit number seven for the Boston Braves. And it's Holmes' fifth hit of the series. It brings up Alvin Dark. He beat out a bunt his first time at bat. Was doubled up as Torgerson flied to Tucker, who made a sensational catch and throw to first. Then he hit into a double play and grounded back to the mound. Dark is a right-hander. Here it comes. Strike called. Feller and Gromacker warming up in the Cleveland bullpen. Cleveland has a 4-1 to lead in the last half of the eighth inning as the Braves try to stage a desperation rally in an effort to push the series into a seventh and deciding game. Otherwise, this is the clinching victory as far as Cleveland is concerned. The outfield is set to the left. The infield in a little. Outside, that was a slider, and the count is one and one. Dark started to go after it, held away from it. Lemon throws a slider sparingly. A sinker ball is his stock and trade, and he has an excellent one. Ray Scarborough was telling me about it a while back. Here's the pitch. Strike, call. That caught the outside corner. Dark let it come, and the count is one ball, two strikes. Dark has had three hits in 23 appearances in the series. Ken Keltner is standing just inside the third baseline, guarding it very closely. Tommy Holmes is being held right close at first base by Eddie Robinson. Here's the pitch. There's a drive that goes to right field. Dolby comes in fast. He takes it, and Holmes has to go back. Dark was trying to hit the ball into right field, but it stayed up in the air long enough for Dolby to make the play. Gene Bearden has joined Feller and Gromek in a warm-up capacity. So there's one out in the Braves' eighth inning. And Earl Torgerson comes up. The Braves need three runs to push this game into a tie status. Torgerson, who was the top batter of the series for the Braves, has no hits in three trips today. Lemon has slowed him down. He's a left-handed batter. And he hits a drive down the right field line. That is in there for extra bases. There goes Holmes to third base. Torgerson going to second base, sliding in safely. with a double to right has moved Holmes to third Lemon is going to stay in Boudreaux has already given him a reassuring pat on the back Torgerson just collected his third double his seventh hit to tie Bob Elliott and Larry Doby and with Bob Elliott up Bob has three consecutive singles two of them infield hits he has scored the Boston run the catch that Doby made at the expense of Dark, now looms as mightily important because with Dark trying to hit the ball into right field on the hit and run, Dolby came in fast and spirited and turned Holmes back. There's one out, two on. That was right up close to the ears for ball one, a high fast one. One ball, no strikes. Cleveland has four runs, ten hits. The Braves have one run, eight hits. That's the total to which they were held by Lemon in his second winning game of 4-1. to one. He stands on the rubber. He's taking plenty of time. He's very deliberate. He winds up. He pitches and throws a sidearm pitch inside. That was a fastball, 2 and nothing. Elliott is up there, hopeful, 
that the same kind of a pitching mistake that Bob Feller twice made against him yesterday will be repeated. And Lemon is bearing down all the harder, determined not to do so. Two balls, no strikes. Here it comes. High, ball three, three and all. And Feller, Gromek, and Bearden just got a sign via the relay system to the bullpen to bear down a little more vigorously. As Lou Boudreau turned and looked out to the left of the flagpole where the Cleveland bullpen is hidden. Three and nothing to count. Here's the windup. Strike called. Elliott was almost down on one knee that time, attempting to distract the pitcher, Bob Lemon, so that he would throw him ball four. It's a three and one situation with Holmes on third base, Torgerson on second base. Lemon standing on the mound. Elliott uses a very close stance, and they play him to pull the ball well to left. Here it comes. Swing and a miss. Fast ball that came blazing like a streak right over the plate. And Elliott took a savage cut at him to run the string to three and two. Three balls, two strikes to count. Elliott waiting for the pitch, and the crowd now is hanging on the edges of its seats. Here it comes. Ball four to fill the bases. That was inside. That's the fourth base on balls off Lemon. And with the bases loaded and one out for the Braves, manager Lou Boudreau calls a halt. He raised his hand on high, comes in in a way that would indicate there's going to be a new pitcher. He takes the ball from Lemon. Bill Summers makes a sign to the bullpen. And the right field foul line umpire, Joe Paparella, goes over to be certain that the new pitcher comes in promptly. So Lemon is driven out. After seven and a third innings of his second World Series game, and Gene Bearden, who authored a five-hit two-to-nothing shutout against the Boston Braves, is going to come in, so there is a possibility that Rickert, a left-hander, will be replaced. There's the announcement. Gene Bearden, who is the great, courageous left-hander, he survived a torpedoed American naval ship in Kula Gulf. He still carries some of the steel that was necessary to reinforce a fractured knee and an injured skull. He's a tremendously likable left-hander. And you'll recall that he pitched a five-hit shutout against the Boston Braves on the 8th of October. And in that game, one Brave reached third... And only two other Braves got as far as second base. Clint Knatzer, a Texan and a Braves outfielder, has a bat in his hand down in the Boston Braves dugout. Billy Southworth has moved in, and he just nodded his head to him, and Knatzer is going to come up and bat in place of left-handed Marv Rickert. The bases are loaded with one out for the Boston Braves in the eighth inning, and Cleveland leads 4-1. to one. The condition of the playing field here at Braves Field, notwithstanding the fact that there have been some football games played on it, was put into excellent World Series condition by Al Oliver and his capable crew of groundskeepers. Clint Knatzer, they just made the announcement, and for the benefit of those who didn't already recognize him, 
The information, together with his numeral, came over the public address system. There's one man out, and Cleveland has a four-to-one lead. Here's the windup. Bearden gets set. There goes the drive to center field. Going back for it is Tucker. He takes it, and here comes Holmes sprinting in with a run. There goes Torgerson on his way to third base. That was a wicked smash that went straight away to center field, and Holmes came in after the catch. Macy is going to come up in place of Salkel. And Lou Boudreau comes in to say something to Jim Hegan, the catcher. The score is 4-2. to two. They're runners on first and third. Torgerson moving up on that wicked smash, and it was well tagged. It was a low line drive, and Tucker was able to get back under it. It was hit straight away to center field. Macy has scored a run, but he has no hits in seven trips in this series. Billy Southworth is pulling all the strings he knows how. This is Bearden's second appearance of the series. Two men are out. Cleveland leads by a score of 4-2. Macy stands very close to the plate. He's up in front of it, as a matter of fact. Inside, ball one. And waiting, hopefully, in the on-deck area is Mike McCormick, who drove in the first Boston run of the game. Cleveland broke a tie with two runs in the sixth inning. One of them was Joe Gordon's home run, his first of the series, his fourth in World Series competition. The Indians added another run in the top half of the eighth inning. There's the stretch. Bearden gets set. He pitches. There goes a drive down the left field line. And the ball is off the wall. It is four to three. And it is a double. Runners on second and third. Phil Macy made a bid for a home run and hit a long double over left fielder Dale Mitchell's head off the left field wall. Bearden will stay in. There are runners on second and third. Elliott was held up because Mitchell played the ball superbly and had Elliott attempted to score, he would have been out at the plate. But the Braves are within one run of a tie. Two men are out and Mike McCormick comes up. McCormick has an opportunity to break the ball game wide open. And a new left fielder is going to go into the ball game. Kennedy will go to left. Kennedy has a strong throwing arm, a very strong throwing arm, and that obviously is accountable for the maneuver. Bob Kennedy has been used in the series before. Matter of fact, he drove in a run but he has been sent previously to right field. Now Kennedy is in left field, Tucker in center, and Doby in right, with Mike McCormick up. McCormick has six hits and 22 trips. He's a right-handed batter opposing left-handed Gene Bearden with Macy and Elliott on second and third. Strike called. The first pitch was a fastball that caught the outside corner. This is the eighth inning, and the Braves have fought their way back to within one run of a tie. Here it comes... There's a ground ball. Back to Bearden. He waits for Robinson to cover. Fires to first to retire the rally. Right back to the mound as McCormick tried to hit one through the middle. Two runs 
three hits. No errors, one walk, two runners were left on base. And at the end of eight innings of play, Cleveland has four runs, ten hits, no errors. The Braves have three runs, nine hits and no errors. Now we pause ten seconds for station identification. This is the Mutual Broadcasting System. This is WOR, New York. The Mutual Station that brings you the World Series and other top sports events the year round. Gene Bearden is scheduled to be the first batter in the ninth inning, and then he'll be followed by Bob Kennedy and Larry Dolby. Mike McCormick has moved over to left field for the Boston Braves if you're scoring the game, and Knatzer has gone into center field, but he is in the batting order in place of Marv Rickard. And Phil Macy, of course, who came through with a pinch double. His first hit of the series, by the way is doing the catching. So the Braves have a revised batting order and a lineup as well. Knatzer is in center field and Mike McCormick, who was in center field, has moved over to left. Phil Macy is the new catcher and the first batter scheduled to come up for Cleveland is Gene Bearden. You'll recall Bob Lemon was at bat in the eighth inning when the Indians, with Robinson breaking from first risking a pickoff, tried to set up a double steal, and Thurman Tucker was out trying to score. Mr. Bearden has a single and a double in this series and a very handsome batting average of 667. Cleveland has a lead of 4-3. to three. Warren Spawn still on the mound for the Boston Braves in his second relief roll. Here's the pitch. Ball one. One ball, no strikes. Here it comes. Foul tip. Bearden went down on his left knee after swinging and tipping it right back against the screen, and the count is one ball, one strike. This has been one of the most exciting ball games of the entire series. The outfield is just a little to the right of straight away. Here it comes. A fastball high, and the count is two balls, one strike. The sign has just gone out to right field, and Vern Bickford and Red Barrett start warming up again for the Boston Braves. Spawn winds up. He pitches. Ball three. Low outside. Three and one. And Macy steps across the plate and fires one back. Macy's double, by the way, was just about halfway up on the left field wall. Here's the windup. Swing and a miss. Bearden was hopeful that that pitch would be to his liking. And when it came in just above the knees, he swung. And the count now is three and two. He's knocking the dirt, some of the clay, out of his spikes. Bill McKechnie is coaching at third. The first base coach is still Mel Harder. Spawn takes that big windup. He strides, delivers. Strike three, swinging. That's his second consecutive strikeout, by the way, and his ninth for the past two days. He struck out Hegan in the eighth inning. One man out, and Bob Kennedy is the batter. Kennedy made an appearance, an appearance earlier in the series in a batter's roll, and he singled and drove in a run. He's a right-handed batter. Strike called. That was a fairly slow pitch. One strike to count. Here it comes. 
Fastball, low inside, and the count is one and one. Kennedy has one hit in one time at bat and one run driven in in this series. It was a single. Spawn takes a big windup. Swing and a miss. There was a gigantic curveball, one of his specialties. He didn't throw it much yesterday. The count now is one ball, two strikes. The fourth Cleveland run was scored against Spawn, by the way. Kennedy sets himself close to the plate. Swing and a miss. Strike three. For the second time in as many days, Spawn has struck out three consecutive Indians. That's ten strikeouts for the Buffalo-New York Southpaw in 24 hours. He finished up yesterday and richly deserved credit for the win. Larry Doby is the batter. Larry is one of the three top batters of the series with seven hits. He has two out of three today. He's a left-hander. Strike called. That was a slow pitch that caught the outside, and Doby didn't want to go after it. There are two men out. First half of the ninth, Cleveland leading four to three in an exciting sixth game. That was high and inside, and the count is one and one. If you're interested in stealing a look at the last of the ninth, Stanky is slated to lead off, and then probably a pinch hitter for Warren Spawn. Here it comes. Swing and a miss, and Doby fell down. That was a curveball right down in the dirt. It bounced in the dirt, and Doby fell into the ball after he completed his swing and missed it. And the ball very nearly bounced up and struck him. One ball, two strikes the count. Here it comes. Foul ball. Very nearly another strikeout. As a matter of fact, if it hadn't been for yesterday, when Robinson hit a fly ball to left field, Spawn might have his name etched in the record books. Because he struck out three, then he missed Robinson and struck out two more. Here's the windup. Strike three. Four straight strikeouts. In an amazing demonstration of pitching magic, Warren Spahn regained his touch and struck out Hegan in the eighth, Bearden, Kennedy, and Dolby in the ninth to run to 13 his strikeouts of the past two days. Going into the last half of the ninth inning, Cleveland leads 4-3. to three. Right now, with winter coming on, is a good time to start a life-saving flow of food and clothing to some destitute European family through CARE packages. CARE is a non-profit organization approved by your government that guarantees delivery of your gift package to a specific individual in Europe. For $10, you can present 21 and a half pounds of nutritious food to any person or family in 15 European countries. Just send $10 to CARE, C-A-R-E, New York, with your name and address and the name and address of the recipient. You will receive a signed receipt upon delivery. Cleveland leads by a 4-3 score, and Eddie Stanky will be the Braves' leadoff batter in the last of the ninth. He's a right-hander. He's walked twice. Bearden's first pitch is low inside, ball one. The record, incidentally, for the most home runs in a single game in the World Series is Babe Ruth. That's an answer to a query. Three. Bob Elliott tied the all-time National League mark with two yesterday. Bearden delivers. Ball two. That was letter high outside, and it's two and nothing. 
Bearden has faced three batters, and two of them have hit the ball extremely well. Canatchers fly and Macy's double. Here it comes. Strike called. There was to be no denying young Mr. Bearden that time. He fired one right down the middle. And it's two and one. Bob Feller and Steve Dromack are warming up for Cleveland. The Indians are trying to nurse a one-run lead in the ninth inning. There goes a high foul fly ball down the left field line. Kennedy running hard, but he can't get it. It fell out of his reach by about 20 feet out in what normally would be the Boston Braves bullpen. Two balls, two strikes. Both Keltner and Boudreaux tried, but Kennedy was the only one who had any chance whatever. The outfield with Stanky up is playing well to the left. And his immediate problem, of course, is to get on base. He wasn't up there to wait Mr. Bearden out. As soon as that first good pitch came over with a count two and one, he went after it. And now Bearden has him in a two and two hole. Bearden winds up. Three and two. That was a curveball that hung high to the outside. Incidentally, it is fairly dark here at Fenway Park. Very cloudy and ominous overhead. But it has been a very happy circumstance that this game went at all. Here it comes. There's a drive foul to left. A wicked line drive that bounces off the facade of the left field boxes. And it's recovered out there by the foul line umpire. Mr. Bearden has at least this edge against the batters in this inning. The darkness, I mean. Because visibility handicaps the batters somewhat on such a day as this when the afternoon wears on. Here's the big one. Ball four. Stanky gets his third walk of the game and his seventh base on ball to the series. There may be a pinch runner. Connie Ryan is going to run for Stanky. And Sibby Sisty will bat for Spawn. Connie Ryan of New Orleans, Louisiana is running for Stanky and Sibby Sisty of Buffalo, New York a fellow townsman of Warren Spawn will bat for him. This is Sesti's first appearance at the plate in the series but he filled in handsomely for Stanky during the period of Eddie's injury. No one out. Ryan on first base. Bearden takes his stretch. Here's the pitch. Foul ball. He tried to bunt it. Cleveland naturally expects the sacrifice, and both Robinson and third baseman Ken Keltner were quick to come in with the intention of covering the plate. One strike to count. There is no one out. But Billy Southworth is prepared to risk the percentage opportunity of a bunch and sacrifice Sisty. Ken Keltner is in on the grass down the third baseline. Here it comes. There's the bunch. It's a foul ball, and Hegan throws to first for the double play. Hegan took it. Right out in front of the plate, it was ruled a fair ball, and then he fired it to first base for the ninth double play for Cleveland in the series. Bearden threw him a knuckleball, perhaps. It's difficult to determine from here, but the double play was two to three, and all he had to do was wait for Robinson to cover first because Ryan was going on it. Two men out, and Tommy Holmes the batter. 
And some of the fans are already beginning to leave. Convinced? The destiny has been shaped. Strike called. One strike to count. From a situation with a runner on first base, no one out. An optimistic situation, trailing as they do by one run, three to four. The Braves now have two men out, no one on. Here's the pitch. Foul ball. And that one is coming up here. The count, two strikes. Incidentally, Cleveland in this game has had four double plays. So they've had six of their nine double plays in support of Bob Lemon and Bearden. There goes a fly ball towards left field. Going back fast is Kennedy. Kennedy gets there, and he takes it. And the Cleveland Indians are the world's champions of 1948. And they are leaping joyously as they go off the field. Bearden is being mobbed as are Lou Boudreaux. And out in center field, Tucker and Kennedy come running in arm in arm. The final score, Cleveland four runs, ten hits, no errors. The Braves, three runs, nine hits, no errors. The winning pitcher, Bob Lemon. The losing pitcher, Big Bill Voisel. And camera flash bulbs are exploding all over the premises as the Braves, Billy Southworth, congratulates Lou Boudreaux, and the Indians have tucked away the bunting in baseball's greatest classics. And now here to review the game and feature some of its highlights is Mel Allen. The 1948 World Series is over, ladies and gentlemen. On a dark and gloomy day in Boston, the 1948 World Series comes to an end with the sun figuratively shining, as a matter of fact, even blazing insofar as the Cleveland Indians are concerned. For here, in the wigwam of the Boston Braves, on the banks of the Charles River, the Cleveland Indians have been crowned champions of the baseball world. The second such honor in 28 years. And down below us on the field is a shirtless, I mean a coatless, but wearing just a thin silk shirt, half-sleeved Bill Veck hobbling over from his uh, box behind the Cleveland dugout in the, to the runway to move into the Indians' clubhouse to help them celebrate their victory. Along with him is the vice president of the Cleveland Indians Ball Club, Hank Greenberg. You got to take your hat off to guys like Bob Elliott, who uh, sparked his team in a tremendous comeback yesterday to prolong the series. And you've got to take your hat off to a fellow like Lou Boudreaux, one of the greatest shortstops you've ever seen in your life. I doubt you'll ever see one any better at any time in the future. Well, we could pick out men here and there. They're all great. They're all wonderful. It was a delightful World Series, although it did get off to a slow start because of the great pitching. And so it comes to an end with the Cleveland Indians, the world champions, ladies and gentlemen. We must uh, add this one other thing to Cleveland's nine double plays in the series with uh, so many of them today coming through to help them win the world's championship. That's all there is, ladies and gentlemen, as uh, we sign off from uh, Braves Field. We got to mention... Uh, as our mind wanders and we look out onto the empty field now, you think of such fellows as Larry Doby, who got so many base hits. Larry Doby and Bob Elliott and Earl Torgerson, all of whom got seven hits to lead in uh, total hits. But you could go around, pick out each individual, and show his relative value to the overall picture of uh, presenting for American baseball fandom another exciting World Series. We hope that you've enjoyed it. And so, fans, that's that. The story of another World Series goes into the record. But Gillette's Cavalcade of Sports carries on. Every Friday night, we're on the air coast to coast 
with the major boxing event of the week. Plan to be at Radio Ringside Friday nights and enjoy the fun. Now, this is Mel Allen saying smooth sailing, smooth shaving, and good afternoon from your host, the Gillette Safety Razor Company and Jim Britt. Recorded highlights of today's World Series game will be heard over WOR at half past 11 tonight. Stay tuned now for Queen for a Day, which follows. We wish to thank the La Rosa Macaroni Company, sponsors of the Hollywood Theater of Stars, for relinquishing their broadcast time today in favor of the World Series game. This is the Mutual Broadcasting System. From Forbes Field in Pittsburgh, the sixth game of the 1960 World Series, the New York Yankees versus the Pittsburgh Pirates, brought to you today by General Motors and by the Gillette Safety Razor Company. It's game number six of the 1960 World Series, and this is Jack Quinlan, along with Chuck Thompson, back here in Pittsburgh at the home of the Pirates, Forbes Field. This is where this thrilling show began one week ago today, and now, a week later, the Pirates lead the New York Yankees in the series three games to two. Today, the Pirates are sending right-hander Bob Friend to the mound in an effort to close out the series and raise the first world's championship flag over Forbes Field since way back in 1925. The Bucks are only one game away from the glory and the gold, although not necessarily in that order, and they would like to put that money in the bank tonight. The New York Yankees, with their backs to the wall, are countering with Southpaw Whitey Ford. It was only this morning that the Yankee boss, Casey Stengel, finally made his pitching choice. He wasn't sure whether it would be Bob Turley or Ford. Both had beaten the Pirates in the series, and many observers figured that it would be Ford since Whitey pitched the only shutout of the series. Last Saturday in New York's Yankee Stadium, Ford blanked the Pirates on only four hits by a score of 10 to nothing, coasting to an easy Yankee victory. There were others, however, who figured that Turley had a better chance of squaring the series for the Bombers today. Ford, they reasoned, is not an effective pitcher with only three days rest normally. Turley, on the other hand, has had five days off. Turley pitched here last Thursday and defeated Friend 16-3. But Stengel has decided to go with Ford, the shutout pitcher. Well, to say that Pirate fans are happy, jubilant, excited, and optimistic is a rather mild way to put it. These fans are certain that nothing stands in the way now of the world's championship. The two teams arrived back in Pittsburgh on Monday night from New York. And upon arriving at the greater Pittsburgh airport, Danny Murtaugh and his pirates were greeted by some 10,000 screaming fans. Fans who knew all along that their beloved Buccaneers could do it, that they could come back. Down here at home plate... We have the six umpires working the World Series. Captain Dick Grote of the Pirates is out there with a Pittsburgh lineup. Manager Casey Stengel of the Yankees has not arrived yet with the New York lineup. Here he comes now out of the Yankee dugout of third base. Now the starting lineup for the Yankees. Cleet Boyer will lead off and play third base. Tony Kubek will be at shortstop, batting second. Roger Maris in right field, hitting third. Mickey Mantle in center field, batting cleanup. Yogi Berra in left field for the Yankees, hitting in the number five slot. Bill Scourin at first base, batting sixth. Elston Howard will do the catching. Bobby Richardson at second base, and Whitey Ford will do the pitching. Now we're going to have Jackie Heller doing the singing, Brad Hunt and his orchestra, and our national anthem.
play center field. Dick Grote at shortstop. Roberto Clemente in right field. Dick Stewart at first base. Gino Samoli in left field. Hal Smith will do the catching. Don Hope at third base. Bill Mazeroski at second base. And Bob Friend will do the pitching. Now, Whitey Ford has made 13 World Series starts. He has won six and lost four in his 13 starts. He has never won a World Series game away from Yankee Stadium. Ford has won all six of his victories at Yankee Stadium, and he's lost two in Yankee Stadium, and he's also lost two on the road. So Whitey is still looking for his first World Series win on enemy soil. Friend has pitched in only one World Series game. That was here at Forbes Field last Thursday. When he started, worked four innings, allowed two earned runs, and was charged with a 16-3 loss. We pause now 10 seconds for station identification. This is WGY, 810 on your dial, and WGFM, Schenectady. Here now is the umpire in alignment in this ball game at Forbes Field, game number six. John Stevens of the American League will work behind home plate. He'll call the balls and strikes. Bill Joukowsky of the National League will be at first base. Nestor Shylock of the American League at second base. Dusty Bogus of the National League at third. Stan Landis of the National League will be down the left field foul line. And Jim Honachick of the American League down the right field foul line. We have the Pirates poised over here in their dugout at first base. Here they come, led by Captain Dick Groth. The Bucks are taking the field. Now, to bring you the play-by-play report here in the first half of this ball game, number six in the 1960 World Series, the gentleman from Washington, D.C., Chuck Thompson. Thank you very much, Jack Quinlan. Good afternoon, baseball fans. The Pirates take the field, and up on the mound goes the big right-hander, Bob Friend who is a most determined young man this afternoon. He was, to say the least, uh, disappointed over his inability to defeat the Yankees, his previous try, in the second game of the series here at Forbes Field, and is one of the most determined young men we've talked to. Bob Friend on the mound, behind the plate, a new catcher today for the Pirates, in his second World Series game will be Hal Smith. Now to complete the Pirate uh, defensive alignment for you, around the infield again, Don Hoke at third base, Dick Grove, the shortstop, Bill Mazeroski, the second baseman, and still is playing first base. Out in left field, it'll be Gino Simoli, the center fielder, and what a ball player, Bill Verdon. And the right fielder is Roberto Clemente. The leadoff hitter for the New York Yankees will be Cleet Boyer. He has been to bat in this 1960 World Series on two occasions, has delivered with one hit, and has an even 500 series batting average. And over the year for the New York Yankees, this younger brother of the fine Cardinal third baseman, Ken Boyer, hit 242 for the New York Yankees. But manager Casey Stengel has given this young man credit for many crucial base hits and particularly a few home runs that won ball games for the Yankees. Well, here is Boyer, right-handed batter, up against Bob Friend. All ready to go. Friend looking down to Hal Smith. The sixth game of the 1960 World Series is underway at Forbes Field. The Pirates lead three games to two. Friend into the wire. The first offering, swing and a miss. Strike one. The ball game is underway. A sharp breaking curveball from uh, Bob Friend. Incidentally, in Friend's first outing, he went four innings, allowed six bases, walked two, and he struck out six of the Yankees. 
The big pirate right-handed deals, and here's a swing and a foul ball back on the net and behind the plate. Two strikes to Cleet Boyer. He will be followed by Tony Kubek and Roger Maris in that order. In their customary spots, coaching at third base, Frankie Crosetti. And down the first base side for the Yankees, it's Ralph Houck. Two-strike pitch coming down now to right-hand biting Cleet Boyer. It's a ball outside, a check swing as Boyer started to go and then held back at the last moment. The ball dipped low and away. And the count now, one ball, two strikes to the Yankee third baseman of the afternoon, Cletus Boyer. Another great crowd here at Forbes Field. And you couldn't ask for finer weather as Bob Friend throws a ball down low again. Again, uh, Boyer started to offer and held back on the swing. And the count now, two balls, two strikes. To the leadoff hitter in the top of the first inning. Now Fran looking down to Hal Smith for the sign. Into the move now, and the 2-2 pitch coming to Boyer. Here it is. A ground ball hit right back to the mound, and a check swing grabbed by Bob Fran. He throws the first and time to get Boyer. One up and one down. Boyer tried to hold back on that swing, it appeared, but he dribbled a little bit of a ground ball toward the mound, and Fran pounced on it and threw him out. One up, one down now, and here is Tony Kubek. Kubek has been to bat in the series 22 times with nine base hits, and he has a World Series batting average of 409, hit 273 on the season for the New York Yankees, and today is celebrating his 24th birthday. 24-year-old youngster from Milwaukee. Bob Fran throws to the left-handed batter, high and outside, ball one. Kubek has one double in the series and two runs batted in. Right back, here's a swing and a ground ball. Hit towards second baseman Maserati. He takes it out and he throws the first two down. Two up and two down. And now here is Roger Maris. Against the right-hander Bob Friend today, Casey Stengel, has dipped in there for some left-handed swingers. He's got four in a row in the batting order. Kubek, Maris, Mantle, and Vera. Two out, none on, top half of the first inning, left-hand batting Maris, with a batting average of 250 in the series, and he hit 283 on the year. Runner-up in the home run championship in the American League, swings and a foul ball to sitting right below our boot. Well, uh, Jack Quinlan made a bit of a prediction prior to the ball game today. He said, the only thing I'll predict this afternoon, Chuck, is the fact that we probably are due for a foul ball right up here in the boot, and I thought we had it, Jack. One strike to Maris. Maris has hit two. World Series home runs here in 1960. Friend all ready to go. He throws, swinging another foul ball back up over our booth and out of play. Two strikes to the Yankee right fielder, Roger Maris. The Yankees have hit eight home runs in the five previous games. Now the home run record for a six-game series for one club is also held, as you well might suspect, by the Yankees. They hit nine in six games in 1953. They also hold the seven-game record, hitting 12 in 1956. Two out, not on. And the two-strike pitch coming down to Maris. A curveball just misses, and the count is a ball and two strikes. Sharp breaking pitch from uh, righty Bob Friend. Mazeroski, the Pirates' second baseman, cut around to the first base side of the infield, backed up in the outfield grass, the outfield deep, and swung a little bit toward right field to Maris. Polk is uh, kind of deep at third base and wide of the bag. Groat uh, favoring second. The friend into the move now. The one-two pitch is a curve down low again, and the count is two and two. Two balls, two strikes to Roger Maris. Leadoff hitter Boyer bounced out to the pitcher, Bob Friend. And then Kubek hit a ground ball to Mazeroski, the second baseman, and was thrown out. 
And now the 2-2 pitch coming down to Roger Maris. Brand into the move, brings the arm over Deal. Swing and a foul ball in the dirt behind the plate. He gave that downer once again. And Maris got a little piece of it and trickled it foul behind the plate. This series will be remembered, of course, for some of its great catches and the bombing of the Yankees. But I also think it might be remembered for the outstanding weather. You just couldn't have finer weather. Now the 2-2 pitch to Roger Maris. Two out and an out. Swing and a high pop foul behind the plate is going to be out of play. Back among the spectators. And a souvenir baseball. Certainly this series will be talked about for a long time. And people will refer continually, I'm sure, to the determined comeback of the Pittsburgh Pirates. And now the 2-2 to Maris swing on another foul ball out of play behind the plate. Count continues, two balls, two strikes to Roger Maris. Pittsburgh fans, of course, are well aware of the ability of the Pittsburgh Pirates of 1960 to bounce back. And they had done it all through the 1960 campaign. But in a World Series, sometimes it's a horse of another color. But the Pirates bounce back and now lead the Yankees three games to two. But Casey Stengel has been quoted as saying, and you better believe him, we ain't dead yet. Well, we'll see. Here's the 2-2 to Maris. Inside ball three. Ford reached back and got a little, or rather, Frank reached back and got a little extra on that fastball. And he really ripped it, jammed to Maris right on the wrist, but a little tight. So we have a full count now. Three and two to Maris. For a friend in the move, he throws, swinging another lifted fly ball out in the right center field. Moving on the ball, the center field of Bill Burton. He's under it, looks up. Burton makes the catch. Now the Yankees are three up and three down. No runs, no hits, no errors, and none left. And the score at the end of the first half inning of play, it's the New York Yankees nothing and the Pittsburgh Pirates nothing. <laughs> This year, General Motors offers you cars with more solid value built into them, more breadth of choice than you've ever known. Yes, it's... Value and choice from GM. So today's the day to see your quality GM dealer. Well, fans, here's something that every motorist should know. Exclusive GM Guardian maintenance, which means factory-trained mechanics giving educated service with factory-approved parts and the most modern equipment. Take your car or truck to your GM dealer for Guardian maintenance. In the last half of the first inning, Bill Burden will lead off for the Pirates, followed by Dick Grode and then Roberto Clemente against the Southpaw Whitey Ford. Here in Forks Field, in the two games that have been played here prior to this afternoon, 73,984 were in attendance. A total of 274,550 have seen the first five games. Here is Bill Burden. Burden, who hit 190 through the first five games, 21 times a bat with four base hits, and three of the four have been doubles, incidentally, has driven in three runs, and boy, it goes without saying that this fellow has cut off a few Yankee runs with his outstanding defensive play in center field. Burden hit 264 in the regular season for the Pirates, left-handed batter, and Whitey Ford, the Yankee southpaw into the move, deals a curve and a strike is called by plate umpire Stevens. Strike pitch coming down to left hand batting Ford. Swell. Burton's one out of line drive into the center field. It's going to drop for the base hit. Burton is on with a line single to center field. Burton gets 
It's the game's first base hit and his fifth of the World Series. A line drive that drops in front of Mickey Mantle in center field. That brings on the Pirate captain and shortstop Dick Grote. In the series, Grote has officially batted 20 times with four base hits and has a 200 batting average. He has driven in a run for the Pirates and has two doubles. Tight to the bag at first is Scout. Leading first, Verdon. Now the set. And the pitch coming to Grote is a ball low and outside. Down on the Yankee bullpen, following the Verdon single to center field, Bob Turley is up and is throwing. Turley is warming in the Yankee bullpen down the left field side. Now Verdon out to his lead at first. Ford checks him with a look. And the Yankee southpaw deals a pitch that's a strike. Right over the outside corner above the knees. One and one now to Dick Grote. Elston Howard doing the catching here in the sixth game for the Yankees. Around the Yankee infield, Boyer at third, Kubek at short, second baseman Richardson, first baseman Skyron playing tight to the bag, guarding against the lead of Burden. Now the 1-1 pitch coming down to Dick Grote. Ford with a long set, kicks and throws. He curved him and it's cut foul into the upper deck behind first base. Now the count is a ball and two strikes to Dick Grote. The Yankee outfield has Yogi Berra in left field, Mickey Mantle in center field, and Roger Maris in right. Coaching again for the Pirates today at third base, Frank Osiak, and down the first base side, it's Mickey Vernon. Whitey Ford, possessor of one of the best moves in baseball insofar as going to first base. Naturally cuts down in the lead of Bill Vernon. Now the set by Ford of the one-two pitch coming to Grove, swinging a ground ball off the first base side. Two is left versus. He makes the throw to second base for one out. Back to first for the double play. A very quick Yankee double play. Richardson went slightly to his left, made the grab, and wheeled his throw to Kubek. That forced Burden coming down. Kubek's return throw to Scourd at first was in time to retire Grode, and the Yankees have come up with a double play. Second to short, back to third. Two out and none out of the pirate half of the first inning. No score. The Yankees in the top half of the inning with three up and three down. And now with two out and none on, here is Roberto Clemente, right-hand batting pirate right fielder. Clemente hitting 286 in the World Series today. He had 314 in the regular year for Pittsburgh. Four throws. He curved him low inside. Ball one. Bobby Richardson, the Yankees second baseman, is also back a couple of steps on the outfield grass. And he's pulled around a little bit toward uh, the bag at second. And the one nothing pitch is a slow curve. Hit down the right field line. It's fading, fading. It's a fair foul. It is a foul ball at the last moment. Way up there in the upper deck in the right field corner. Golly, that was surprising. I didn't realize at first that Clemente had had the ball hit quite so well. But it zoomed in foul territory in the upper deck. A long foul ball. One ball, one strike now to Clemente. It is 300 feet down the right field foul line. Here at Forbes Field in Pittsburgh. Down the opposite foul line, down in the left field corner, it's 365 feet. Now Elston Howard pumps out the side. The count, a ball and a strike to Clemente, and Ford throws. He misses low with a breaking ball. Two balls, one strike now. Clemente on the air for the Pirates, knocked in 94 runs. He's an exciting, dashing uh, type of a ball player. All ready to go. The Yankee left-handed throws. Here's a swing and a ground ball off the first base side. Through the right field for a base hit. Clemente singles to right field. And the Pirates have picked up their second hit. Off Whitey Ford here in the first inning. Two out. Clemente at first. And the batter is going to be Dick Stewart. 
California in 16 trips to the plate in the 1960 series has hit safely three times. They've, three times they've all been singles. He has yet to drive in a pirate run, and he'd like nothing better, of course. Over the year, however, Stewart knocked in 83 runs for the Pirates. Two out, Clemente, the runner at first base. Scowlin tight to the bag. And Ford leaning in now to pick up the sign from Elston Howard. Big, tall, powerfully built right-hand batting. Dick Stewart waiting. The pitch is outside. Ball one. Well, this is the afternoon. The Pirates, of course, are hopeful of winning it all. And uh, needless to say, the Yankees today have got to win. Or there's no tomorrow. One ball, no strikes to Stewart, two out. Clemente, the runner at first base for the Pirates, no score in the ball game in the last half of the first. Now the one nothing pitch coming down to Dick Stewart. Here it is. Curve, big swing the Strike one. Ford gave Stewart the slow curveball, and the big fella gave it a quick swing and couldn't find it. One ball, one strike to Stewart. outfield deep and around toward left of this big power swinging Dick Stewart. And boy, he can hit the ball about as far as anyone in baseball today. Now Ford has taken enough time so that Stewart uh, calls for time and steps out of the box momentarily. Back in again. Count one ball, one strike, two out. Clemente, the runner at first. No score in the ball game. Ford ready to go now. The 1-1 pitch to Stewart. Long wait now. The throw. Strike. Got a good quick breaking ball over the outside corner above the knees. One ball, two strikes to Stewart. Well, this is certainly the kind of a ballpark that you'd have to call a pitcher's ballpark. One of the biggest in the major leagues. Only center field at Yankee Stadium is any bigger. And in 51 years, no pitcher has ever thrown a no-hitter in this ballpark. One ball, two strikes now to Stewart. Clemente with a good lead at first base. The set by Whitey Ford. The pitch coming to Stewart. Is a ball inside high. Ford uh, kind of started off the third base side of the mound, thought he had a good pitch. And it was pretty close, but played up by Stevens, said, uh uh-uh. Bob Turley is still throwing down in the Yankee bullpen in left field. When Verdon opened the game with a line single to center field, Turley got up in the Yankee bullpen. Right now, he's just kind of staying loose. Two balls, two strikes to Dick Stewart. Ford all ready to go into the abbreviated stretch. The left-hander sets above the belt. Now kicks and throws. Ball three is up high. Fill the count now. Three and two. The Pirate first baseman, Dick Stewart. Well, with two out, and a 3-2 count to uh, Dick Stewart. Clemente loosens up down the first baseway. He'll be winging. Of course, Ford stares right at him to hold down that lead a little bit. Now the set. There goes Clemente. The pitch is swung out and missed. He struck him out. So Ford notches a strikeout, and that's all for the Pirates in the first inning. No runs. They have two base hits. No Yankee errors. One man left. And the score at the end of the first inning, it's the New York Yankees nothing, the Pittsburgh Pirates nothing. Dogs waiting to drive into the bull ring. Matador, I just couldn't wait to show you this Chevrolet. New size, new size, Chevrolet. 60 wonderful Chevrolet. Your car is your 
a man who wants values the Chevrolet your car. Aficionados holler, oi, for my car. It has power and sweep and comfort, of course. Chevrolet's my car, or I'm a Picador's
friend all ready to go now. In the set, he kicks and throws. Scourin swings, ground ball. Find the first baseman, Stewart, out in the deep right field corner. Clemente is running it down. As Barra swings second and digs for third, he'll pull in without a throw. And Scourin has ripped a ground single by the uh, pirate first baseman, Stewart, out in the right field corner. Barra has moved around to third base. And holding first with the Yankees' first hit of the afternoon is Bill Scourin. His ninth hit of this series. So with one away now, the Yankees have runners on the corners at first and third, and the batter will be the Yankee catcher of the afternoon, Elston Howard. Elston is hitting 462 in this uh, series. 13 trips with six base hits, and he's had uh, a little bit of everything. He's had a double, a triple, a home run, and four runs batted in, along with three singles. No score, but the Yankees threaten now with uh, one out and runners at first and third. Elston Howard, lean right-handed batter, steps in, and Bob Friend kicks and throws. A ball low and outside to Howard. In the course of the season, Bob Friend made 37 starts for the Pirates and completed 16 ball games. Now the one nothing pitch coming to right-hand batting Howard. He swings and misses. Friend uh, showed him that curveball again. One ball, one strike. Crosetti talking it up down the third base way for the Yankees and Ralph Hout pacing nervously back and forth in the first base coaching box. One ball, one strike to Elston Howard. Barra at third. Scourin at first. One away. Now the 1-1 one, one to Howard is a ball. He started to go and then held back on the swing. Took the pitch high. And the count is two balls, one strike. Jack uh, Quinlan just points out Casey Stangle is right up there on the top step of the Yankee dugout down the third base way, uh, third base way, eagle eyeing every pitch. Now the two-one coming to Howard. It's strike two call as a quick pitch, probably a slider. Seem to be moving away from the right-hand batting uh, Howard. Caught the outside corner, two balls and two strikes. Three and two, the count to Elston, or two and two, the count to Elston Howard. Scoured at first, Barra at uh, third. And uh, Smitty down, pumping the side. Bob Friend about ready to go. He's in trouble here in the Yankee half of the second inning. The big pirate right-hander sets. And the 2-2 two -two to Howard. He swings in a high-pop foul that's going to be out of play down the first base side. So the count continues. Two and two to Elston Howard. Mantle opened the inning attempting to front... Uh, was thrown out by pitcher Bob Friend to walk to Yogi Berra and then Scourin singled to right field and Berra took third. The count now two and two to Elston Howard. And here's uh, Friend all ready to go. He throws a pitch that's inside and it hit to Howard. He tried to fall away. The ball rolled all the way down the first base side and here is Murtaugh coming out and he may be protesting. The ball hit the bat but Elston Howard shows uh, John Stevens plate umpire the hand and he has been hit on the throwing hand on the right hand which incidentally was injured, you know, in the uh, closing uh, series of the year between the Yankees and the Senators. So Elston Howard has been hit by the pitch. Down to second base goes Bill Scourin. On at first will be Elston Howard. And the batter with the bases loaded will be Bobby Richardson. And no one needs to be reminded about what this little fella from Sumter, South Carolina did with the bases loaded in Yankee Stadium. Richardson has driven in nine runs in five games. 
Now, the record for runs batted in in six games in a World Series is held by, held by Ted Klazuski of the Chicago White Sox, who knocked in ten last year. And uh, the record for runs batted in in a seven-game series belongs to Yogi Berra, and it also is ten runs batted in. And Richardson has nine right now. Elston Howard is going to the dugout. And it appears that uh, he will not be able to continue as he moves down into the runway back to the Yankee clubhouse. And Stengel now has gone to the Yankee dugout off the third base side. And we'll have a runner coming out for Elston Howard. Still waiting to see what it'll be. They have signed to the bullpen down there, and uh, the umpire down on the left field foul line, Stan Landis, has uh, given the sign to someone to come on in and run for Elston Howard. It looks like the big Yankee right-hander, Eli Gerba, will know in just a moment, but it is Eli Gerba, and we'll have the announcement. Gerba is running for Elston Howard, who was hit on the right hand by a pitch from Bob Friend and has left the ball game. And Gerba is on to run. The Yankees have loaded the bases with one out. In the top half of the second inning, no score. Pirates nothing, Yankees nothing, and friend in trouble now. Richardson hitting 350 on the season, or on the series. And he hit 252 on the season. Last year was the only Yankee regular to hit uh, 300. Steps in now, right hand batting, right hand pitching. Friend throws, swing and a miss. Back one. Base is loaded. Richardson the batter. John Blanchard is beginning to loosen up down in the... Yankee bullpen and will probably come on in and take over the catching chores. And the one-strike pitch coming to Richardson is low and a fine save by the pirate catcher Hal Smith. Beauty, he blocked it and kept it from getting behind him. One ball and one strike now to Richardson. Now the 1-1 pitch coming down to Bobby Richardson. It's a pitch too high and outside, Bobby. For a ball, two and one now. Activity in the Pirate bullpen down on the right field corner. Tom Cheney and uh, Vinegar Ben Mizell. Mizell and Cheney are warming in the Pirate bullpen in right field. A count, two balls, one strike to Richardson. Bases loaded, one out, the pitch. Swing and a fly ball, well hit into center field. Coming in is Burden, tagging up the third is Barra. Here's the catch by Burden, and Barra starts to the plate and then decides to go right back to third base. Now the one nothing to Ford. 
It's a strike over the outside corner of the letters. One ball, one strike to Whitey Ford. Saratoga Vichy, the genuine Vichy with a yellow label. Always ask for it by name, Saratoga Vichy. Saratoga Vichy. Yellow label. Saratoga Vichy. Yellow label. Saratoga Vichy. WGY, WGFM, Schenectady.